Hello? Hello and welcome to the Disney Vault cast, the show that examines every single movie in the Disney Vault. This week, we are bracing for a cold front to talk about the 2013 film Frozen. Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. I am your host and struggling ice salesman, Aiden Simons. And with me this week is a extremely talented writer, poet, and just a dear friend of mine. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Katie A. Bear. Again, I am a poet, writer, and Disney fanatic as well. Pretty recently coming off your first ever Disney trip, which we That's- just spent like 30, not really 30, but a long time talking about before we recorded. Oh my God, yeah. I'm 24 years old and I went to my first Disney trip. And it was truly the most magical place on earth. And I cannot stop talking about it. I'm already trying to plan another trip. <laughs> it was amazing. And as I said, we now need to get you out to Disneyland because that is oh, the original absolutely. and the better park. Then, well, I mean, <laughs> California Adventure, maybe not, but Disneyland is the superior Disney park. And I will stand by <laughs> and that. And you're opinion. there. I am there, yes. So yeah, we are talking about easily one of Disney's biggest successes of modern times and like kind of ever. And as a movie that really did kind of just come out of nowhere to become a phenomenon. So why did you decide to talk about Frozen? Well, Frozen, I feel like when Frozen first came out, I was like, it came out when I was in high school and I was trying to be like a little edgy hipster kid. Like I'm not that nerdy into Disney. Truly I am. Um, And so I didn't see it for a while. My brother saw it and he was like, Katie, you're Olaf. And I was like, I don't know who that is. And he was like, you're Olaf, like watch this movie. And so I watched it and I fell in love and I was like, all right, yes, I am Olaf. And it just like, let me like take my like childish nature back out again that I was trying to like bottle up to stay cool, pun intended. Mm. And (laughs) I just like, when it came out, there was a lot of like different discussions about it. Cause I think another movie also came out around that time that got kind of like overshadowed by like the burst of Frozen. But I don't, I love it. It's such a feel good movie. The soundtrack is beautiful. And just like, I don't know. I grew up with a lot of like heteronormativity from Disney princesses where like, you know, no shade to like Cinderella or Snow White or Ariel, but like, all of them kind of had to like let a man save them and that kind of was ingrained in me and so like you know seeing Frozen be like you think it's going that route and it's like psych not and it kind of breaks that with the plot twist it's like okay like there's still romance and that's like that's still in the air but it it twists that and it just is like I don't know. It's one of my th- like. I truly am Olaf. I embody Olaf. I wrote a poem about Olaf. I performed at a national stage. It just is such a feel-good movie to me. Yeah. Even though winter is not my favorite season, but it's fine. <laughs> no, no, God, no. And no, I mean, it really does have that feel-good, comforting feel to it. And you know, I, I, I really like what you said because <laughs> I do feel like the Disney princess, like just branded empire, it gets a lot of criticism. I think some of it is like justified some of it is in like bad faith 
I think some valid criticism of it is it that is that it just it does just ingrain this idea of just like heteronormativity into children, especially young girls at a very young age. And like, there's not necessarily something wrong with choosing to live that life. You know, there's nothing wrong with idolizing princesses, but like, that's not the only way to, that's not the, there's not the only way to have a heroine in your movie. And that is something that I feel like Frozen does well. I think we'll get into it a little more. I'm not the biggest fan with how much it relies on like making fun of the Disney tropes, but I do like how it kind of twists and subverts, you know, especially with the character I feel of, of Anna. I feel like she is a break from the norm of the Disney heroine, but not in like a way that feels like it's trying too hard. She just is a girl who's like klutzy and naive and like optimistic. And and I've talked about in my other episodes about the Little Mermaid and Cinderella that there's not necessarily something wrong with romance be your end goal, like trying to find someone because at the end of the day, that's like not all there is out there in the world. Like, honestly, yes, Anna finds love and that's, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But like the fact that her goal is motivated by like a familial love and like the love for her sister. And I think that is actually a very powerful message, especially to like little girls. Cause I mean, there is this like weird thing of like, I don't want to go too much into like later stuff I have planned, but like, I feel like especially sisterly relationships in media kind of like can get very volatile, like very like yeah. them against each other. And I like how it's like just a, a story about love, but not romantic love, even though it is there. It's a story about loving your family. And even with the romantic stuff, like obviously like, and again, like there's no like, you know, I think our society, and this is definitely, this would be a whole other kind of podcast in itself. Um, but I think society puts so much pressure on romance and then like criticizes, especially like women and girls for it. And it's kind of like, you know, it's cliche. They're like, we can get into gender tropes and like sexuality and a whole other thing. That could be another, again, that could be another podcast. Yeah. But I think just like, you know, growing up and like having that only be the thing taught to me and then being socialized as a girl being like, this is what's expected of you. And then seeing that in the media that I was consuming and like, Trust me, I I still want to be a princess. I still want to wear go to balls and like yeah. wear gowns and party and like I love love and I'm embracing that as my hopeless romantic that who is happily in love. Like I love love, but I think like growing up it kind of like screws up yeah. a lot of <laughs> it screws up a lot of people's like mind and like yeah. I think just having this movie, especially with like the power that it gave, like you know even what you were saying about Anna, like I watching it recently I was like I love Anna because I'm like she is like not trying to be something she's not she's like able to be awkward and quirky and like just trying to be friends with her sister she's like I've never experienced love and I want to and kind of just like even from the first scene or like the one of the first scenes when it's like the coronation day Anna wakes up and she's kind of like still like half asleep and her hair is all like knotted and I'm just like I feel seen like I'm like (laughs) you know it's not like She's a princess that's not trying to be perfect. And, you know, she makes a mistake and like, you see how like love has like distorted her as well mm-hmm. as like, it has like the viewers like me who have seen that happen in our lives. But oh, there's a lot to like analyze with it. And I just think like, it's a nice break from like, you know, the idea of like women need men to save them, which love is great, but that's so not what love should be. I've roamed these empty halls, 
Why have a ballroom with no balls? Finally, they're opening up the gates. There'll be actual real life people. It'll be totally strange. Wow, am I so ready for this change? But I'm somewhere in that zone Cause for the first time in forever Yeah, no, definitely. And like, I think we're, um, especially later in this episode, we're going to really dive into how it kind of subverts and twists the tropes that you expect from a Disney movie. And before we do that, um, let's just go a bit into the history. I say a bit as if there's not like decades worth of history to talk about because (laughs) this movie has a long and troubled and labored history that goes back even to like the time of Walt Disney. Like Disney has been trying to make this film for literally decades. When it came out, I feel like it's just like, oh, they fit a fun idea. And I didn't realize there's all this history behind it. Like going back like a couple of centuries. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I feel like with especially Disney animated movies like if you see a movie like that's released chances are like it's a movie that they've been trying to make for like a while like the little mermaid goes back to around the same time around walt disney making an animated film is like is hard making any movie is hard it says all the time especially with disney like ideas just because they go away doesn't necessarily mean they die like even a movie like tangled which we just talked about recently like they've been trying to make that movie for so long and you know that's just kind of how i feel like things work because like sometimes Things just don't work out in the moment, but that doesn't mean they won't eventually. And I feel like, you know, obviously Frozen was a very successful and important movie for both Disney and the wider culture and the movie that they were playing and making for if that did come out, like, who knows if it would have worked. So, you know, sometimes this things just happen like that. Yeah. Frozen very 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 loosely based on the fairy tale the snow queen which was published by hans christian anderson in 1844 author of the little mermaid and it's basically nothing like the frozen movie we got but like the inspirations are there um just to give the quick and short rundown of the story focuses on a young girl named gerda who goes on an adventure to save her friend kai from the evil snow queen and and for the majority of frozen's production like over the decades they were planning on sticking pretty closely to that story. Um, It wasn't until like pretty close to the movie's release when they decided to like really subvert that story. And like The Little Mermaid, as we talked about in that episode, um, the Snow Queen's history with Disney goes back to the early 1900s. And Disney was planning on making a package film, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically like a bunch of shorter films packaged together through like a framing device or something like that. It was going to be like a live action biopic on Anderson, like his life. And it was going to be intercut with like animated segments about his story. So stories like The Little Mermaid, The Snow Queen, The Ugly Duckling, The Emperor's New Clothes. However, that fell through. And something that we'll see like throughout this entire history is that like the character of the Snow Queen herself was always a difficult character to nail. For one reason or another, the production teams could never really crack the Snow Queen character. And in the story, I don't know if 
you're familiar at all with the original story but like she's not like she's important to the story but she's very much like not an integral character she's very much like a one-dimensional villain who's like not super present throughout the whole thing though obviously she is a very important character there's not a lot of substance to her that's kind of something we see with a lot of Disney movies is that when they adapt a fairy tale like the villain of the movie is a character in the story but it's a character with like very little to do in the story so like Ursula is based off the sea witch who is more of like a neutral third party character Mother Gothel and Tangled is in the Tangled story and is still evil but not like a super major presence and so like when it comes to the Snow Queen for some reason or another like the team always had trouble making her a fleshed out character and that always seemed to be like a big stopping point when it came to adapting this film and as we'll see, you know, apparently the solution was to just not make her evil at all. Which I love because even in like the movie, you see how she's kind of like villainized herself and the town starts to villainize her when they find out mm-hmm. she has powers. But I think like looking back at like the movies, I and obviously I'm 24 now, I've seen a lot of movies, especially a lot of Disney movies. But like when you watch Frozen, there's no like obvious villain at mm-hmm. first. And like you think it's going to be Elsa, the Snow Queen. But it ends up not being because it's like this like complex character where it's just like herself struggling with it. And I think that's a really unique twist on it where it's not just like protagonist, antagonist, happily ever after. Like it's like mm-hmm. so much more deeper than that. Yeah. And like this is something I've talked about in a lot of on these episodes is that Disney animated movies and kind of movies in general, they've kind of strayed away from the idea of just a straight out villain. Like um Frozen was really kind of the first movie I feel like to really do it there is a villain obviously but like it's kind of a weak villain and the villain isn't really like overall that important to the grand scheme of like what Frozen is and and I watched this really um interesting video by YouTuber Lindsay Ellis and like she talked about how in the 90s the Disney movies added this extra element of characters struggling with their identity and like their place. Like some movies like The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Mulan, Aladdin. It's a lot of internal struggles. And then movies in the late 2010s just kind of go even deeper on that and just kind of just take out the villain overall. Like Mm. it's either like no villain, like honestly, Frozen 2 doesn't have a villain or the secret twist villain, like a movie like Frozen or Wreck-It Ralph or Moana that they have villains and they're like quote unquote secret villains, but they're not really important to the overall story Mm. of the movie. It's more about like the internal struggle of the characters. And even with the the movies you mentioned, like even though there's an internal character like having an internal struggle, it's still like you think about the classic fairy tale and it's like, okay, like this the main characters have an internal struggle but there is like the evil stepmother the Mm -hmm. evil witch the like trope of like here is the villain where like Mm -hmm. if you had to characterize a villain like you know in frozen or even frozen 2 like there really isn't you i mean you find out who the villain is at the end of frozen but like you know it's not like there's like this one trope from the minute you know it's like okay this person's evil like Mm -hmm. you know they really play you and it just becomes such like it breaks a lot of like the tropes we all kind of grew up with. Yeah, no. And like, you can still see in the film we got, you can still see like the glimmer of the idea that Elsa was supposed to be a villain. You can still see parts of that. But like, based on the story we got, I definitely think it probably would have been an overall weaker film if she were the villain. And we're kind of going to kind of get into that a little bit later. Um, 
The biopic in the 1940s kind of just fell apart. The idea was kicked around around that time, but in the 1940s, as we talked about in our Cinderella episode, um, kind of went through a very difficult time. A lot of their films bombed at the box office. There was an increased focus on live action films from Walt Disney and World War II really hampered the film, the studio's output, both in the fact that a lot of their animators were drafted and the fact that they couldn't release their films internationally. So um, that idea kind of just stalled and, and it really didn't gain traction until the 1990s, which as we all know, was a very prosperous time for Disney animation known as the Disney Renaissance. And it would have fit in probably perfectly fine in this era of Disney movies. They're all Broadway musicals. I mean, Frozen still is a Broadway musical as a movie, but that was like their bread and butter in the 1990s with films like The Little mm -hmm. Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Um, however, that film was scrapped in the 2000s and it was set to be directed by legendary Disney animator, Glenn Keane. I've talked about him countless times on this show. Um, he did leave the project to direct Tangled, which he ultimately left as well. And throughout the 2000s, there were like so many attempts to get this project off the ground, including hilariously a pitch by Harvey Firestein, which I don't know what that would have looked like, but probably would have been <laughs> certainly something. And oh no, <laughs> <laughs> there was one point where even Pixar was being like considered as a potential producer on this movie. And this was in the 2000s when Pixar was riding high, like probably the highest at its peak, but that fell apart when the whole Disney Pixar deal like really fell through where uh, Pixar left Disney, was looking for other studios before they were bought by Disney. So many attempts to get this film off the ground and nothing stuck. And so now we are in 2008 and <sighs> I have to mention him again, John Lasseter managed to convince director Chris Buck to rejoin Disney Animation after he left. So just to talk a little bit about Chris Buck, he joined Disney in 1978. His first role was animator on The Fox and the Hound, which he also served as in the films like The Black Cauldron and Oliver and Company. He then moved up to character designer for films like The Little Mermaid and The Rescues Down Under. And Pocahontas was when he really began to create a hold in the studio where he acted as supervising animator and eventually directed 1999's Tarzan, which is widely seen as like the last film in the Disney Renaissance and the last big hit for the Disney animation studio for a good while. Um, but after that, he did leave Disney to work for Sony Animation where he directed Surf's Up, the film about surfing penguins. And <laughs> I, I've never seen it. And the most I know about it is that it got a sequel starring WWE characters, not WWE characters, but WWE fighters. Obviously, he did return to Disney eventually. And Buck eventually pitched a number of ideas to He Who Shall Not Be Named, including <laughs> The Snow Queen, which obviously, as we know, is a film the studio has been wanting to make for literally decades. And interestingly, something I learned in the research is that the whole um, inversion of the true love's kiss trope was always there from the start. Buck said that he wanted to do something different than the usual prince finds a princess and kisses her and wakes her up. So this idea was already ingrained in the film. Um, they weren't necessarily making it about two sisters loving each other, but it was always this plan to kind of take the true love's kiss trope and, and kind of like do something new with it. I think it's also just really interesting because it's also like 
you know, I didn't know a lot of this research. I think I said to you before earlier, we're like, you know, a movie comes out like Frozen. And I like remember when it first came out and I saw like, the commercials and like mm-hmm. the press for it. And I was just like, okay, a new movie about like another princess. Like Disney's just making all these prints. And like, I was in high school, so I kind of was like trying to rebel against the princess stage. Meanwhile, this is like one, a story that's been around forever. And also like, they've been trying to make it forever. And it just is like interesting. Maybe it's just also interesting being like an adult watching like princess movies come out. Cause it's like the, what I grew up with and I associated so deeply with like my childhood. But it's also like, yeah, I feel like it came at like the right time for them to be like, let's turn true love kiss trope on its head. And I, I, I talked about this in the Tangled episode, but like Tangled really did set the stage for a film like Frozen. Because even though Tangled is much more of a traditional Disney fairy tale and, and still Frozen is like at the end of the day is still a pretty traditional Disney movie. Um, yeah. Tangled, it was traditional in a lot of ways, but it also kind of like subtly inverted different tropes like Flynn and Rapunzel. They went on an adventure together like Anna and Kristoff and they got to know each other before like falling in love. And there's there were reports that that was supposed to be the last fairy tale that Disney was going to release because this was a pretty not great time for the studio because they were just coming off the release of Princess and the Frog, which was not a major hit. And in a way, Tangled is kind of the last fairy tale Disney release because obviously films like Frozen and Moana are fairy tales, but they're less traditional Disney fairy tales than a movie, even a movie like Tangled, and especially from the 90s. And even having a movie like that, that is like traditional in a lot of ways, but also starting to like break the boundaries of what a Disney movie is, kind of set the stage for Frozen to kind of just like open the floodgates for that. And so the project, which was now titled Anna and the Snow Queen, was set to be a pretty traditional retelling of the story, as we said, and was going to be traditionally 2D animated, Though, unfortunately, only a couple years later in 2010, it did enter development hell once again due to problems relating to the character of the Snow Queen. I mean, kind of fitting that um, Elsa, the Snow Queen character, is a character riddled with self-doubt and like unsure of herself because even the people making this character were (laughs) unsure how to deal with her. You know, I didn't know that, but I think also this makes so much sense and it's like, watching it recently like really looking at Elsa's character like you see how like she's worked as a villain by the town and by like even like Anna at one point because like there's like a struggle between the two of them but it's like you could I don't know you you see that confusion from like the writers that kind of sweep in of like how are you making this character like Elsa like I know what they're trying to do in terms of like not have it like okay like yes in the in the very original story like she's a villain but like how could we twist that again? And so I could see like exactly like their confusion pour out into this character of like. Mm-hmm. It is interesting that like she was always such like a major sticking point because I mean, at the end of the day, she isn't the main character of the story. This is very much Anna's story. I mean, yeah, she's important. And, like Frozen 2 is Elsa's show, but like Frozen, the first one is really Anna's journey and her adventure. So it's like interesting. And especially even when she was the villain, because villains don't need to be three-dimensional complex characters like they can just be villains and just this I think whether they knew it or not also is always destined to have more to her than just being a flat villain which you know obviously they didn't know what shape that would take until much later it's just interesting how she was always like at the center of this project even though 
this isn't really her story at the end of the day. Yeah, I also think it's interesting because when you think about how the villains, and again, this could be a whole other podcast, my like gender studies brain is going into all the like <laughs> everything, even like how, if you look at how villains are like even like visually depicted, like there's kind of like a like quote unquote ugliness to them. Mm-hmm. And like we can, we can unpack a lot of different like ideas of like Ursula being like bigger, like you know, even like the Cinderella stepsisters having bigger feet, like what that kind of looks like. And the princess is always being like dainty little things. And like, you see that with Elsa where like, she's kind of like struggling and she's kind of like, you know, there's a scene in the movie where Hans and his guy is like kind of swarm her ice castle and they're trying to get her and she's like chained and whatever. And she's like arrested, but she's still like conventionally attractive. It's really interesting to look at that too, because it's like, okay, yeah, like the original story, she's a villain, but it's just it's like, that plays a big role. Cause like, you know, the first few times I watched it, I never thought of her as like the villain, just like, okay, Elsa's struggling. Not even that it was like, wasn't Elsa's story. Cause it's like, you see Frozen and you think, okay, the girl who's blowing ice, this is her story, but it's totally not. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so interesting to really like analyze and unpack all that because even just like the visual depictions of like what, you know Disney has done in the past with like what do villains look like what do like heroes or heroines look like like that definitely mm-hmm. plays a big role and so I think yeah no totally and like I am gonna share my screen for a second I actually am gonna share my screen um because I'm looking like I don't know if you've seen concept art of like Elsa but like she really like her design changed a lot when she was a villain she looked completely different than you have like her with her like blue skin and like very like pronounced oh. features and her on her throne that one you just showed me where she's like kind of like taller and like her mm. body's a little more crooked it kind of makes me feel like what maleficent like yeah. that character looked like and like even like her like with her like just like blue hair that's just like it just like it's an it's a non-traditional hair color i mean even her hair color now is like pretty like non-standard but yeah like stuff like this even like when she was being seen as a villain it was like her appearance was even being seen as like that just exactly like you were saying I think Disney like and I know what this has talked about before and like a lot of other different characters and movies and like all sorts of things and what Disney kind of like visually creates is like what is a villain versus what is a hair like what do they look like Mm -hmm. and like a lot of it has like a lot of problematic undertones of course but like I think that's really interesting that like okay we're gonna make like the person who was originally a villain this blonde platinum blonde um Mm -hmm. you know very tiny woman and like still truly like the villain by the entire like town it just is like an interesting concept looking back on it like you know that's how the same kind of like every like stepmother every witch was treated and like all the conventionally unattractive quote-unquote people are and so seeing this conventionally attractive like queen who was literally supposed to be the villain like that's such an interesting like you know, I didn't know there's all this concept art for her because I didn't know like the background of it. But now looking yeah. at it, I'm like, this is really like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there really is a lot to unpack with this movie. I mean, it's kind of like this is even like scratching the surface a little bit. 
However, the project reemerged only a year later following the success of Tangled, which, as we talked about in the episode, was a major hit for the studio, their first major, major hit in like a decade almost, in more than a decade. And it was announced to be titled Frozen, set for a 2013 release. And the only difference this time is that it was going to be a 3D animated film, just like Tangled. And Buck was still attached as director. However, the Snow Queen continued to be a major problem for the team although one idea was floated around that ended up changing the entire project completely and they decided to make Anna Elsa's sister and Elsa was still supposed to be the villain of the story but now all of a sudden you have a personal connection between the hero and the villain which immediately creates a dynamic that gives you story potential and it does set it apart from other Disney movies because because outside of Lilo and Stitch Disney movies and kind of movies in general, let's be real, um, don't really focus on the relationship between sisters. And even when they do, it's more of like an antagonistic relationship, like you said, like in Cinderella. And they're not, I mean, they're stepsisters, but that's like the only real depiction of sisters within the Disney canon. If we're looking at like the kind of tropes, like hero versus villain, like obviously we talked about this is not frozen, definitely like has pulled apart at that idea, but this is interesting because every kind of like, familial relationship you see is kind of strained like entangled it's like mother gothel we know is not her real mom but yeah. like there's such like a like a, a clash between the two and like you look at every other like ariel and her father clash and like it's just like every familial relationship you really see where even if it's like siblings or parents like it's like much more like rougher where like in frozen it's like Anna's just trying to see her big sister. And it's, I think it just is like interesting because even like, I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I feel like there's like one movie or show where it's like brothers. And of course, like masculinity, everyone's fighting. Mm-hmm. And it's like a violent or like, if it's a father and daughter, there's like a lot of weird, like objective ideas. If it's a mm-hmm. mother and daughter, there's a lot of weird, like protective, but also jealousy ideas. And if it's, yeah. you know, like, so the only other like sister I see of is like, again, Cinderella. And it's like their stepsisters and, you know that that they clash yeah and even like Lilo and Stitch the other big Disney movie that focused on relationship between sisters like Nani by like just circumstance has to act more as a parent to Lilo and so it is a very different dynamic they just can't they can't just be sisters and yes both um Anna and Elsa and Lilo and Nani they lost their parents but obviously it's very different when you're princesses and living in a castle and like a being attended to as opposed to like Nani literally has to take care of her sister who is like a problem child just to like go on a little bit of a tangent this was kind of an interesting time for Disney movies because like they had a lot of um focusing on relationships between women and like in like a familial love way because like only a year before we got brave which focused on a mother-daughter relationship which like Disney has never done before and then you got like a year later, you got Maleficent, which kind of weirdly also had an inversion of the true love's kiss trope, where it was like the relationship between Maleficent raising Aurora. You know, I don't know whether these ideas were like in a vacuum or just all happened to be brought up at similar times, but. But I think it's also interesting if you think about it, because I feel like especially those times that came out, like not that this fight hasn't been happening forever, but I think a lot more conversations about like feminism and gender roles and sexuality and all those kind of like ideas were coming much more to visibility. And so I remember when Brave came out, I was like, she's outwardly, I know that's a whole other podcast mm-hmm. episode, but I know like 
when Bryce came out, she was like outwardly saying like, I don't want to get married. And that was yeah. like, especially for me, I was like, what? I was like, this is, wow. Like, you know, and so, and then it's kind of like, you see that, like, you see the avalanche of like Brave and Frozen and then Moana and like all these movies where it's like, we are breaking apart that like idea of like, you know, marriage, heteronormativity, gender expectations, et cetera. Yeah. That I, I don't think, and I don't think either of us are saying like that necessarily anything wrong with like having a character who wants that, but like that doesn't need to be the only goal for your character. Like your character yeah. can, like for Merida, yeah, going with that, she just wants to ride her horse and shoot her bow and arrow. That's all she wants to do. <laughs> and like I've... Elsa just wants to be left alone. <laughs> like, but I think that's the interesting thing about Frozen. Like, again, I'm all for love, but I think like how society views love and romance. And like heteronormativity, again, we can that's a whole other like podcast in itself. But like I think honest character is really interesting because it's like kind of that duality of like she wants love, but then like it breaks apart at like what we've expected of princesses to do, where it's like mm-hmm. the gender expectations of princesses. She knows she wants it deep in her heart, and it's not like she's being told she has to marry somebody. Also, even it's like, you're not marrying this man you just met. And I was like, what are you talking about? And there's a lot of I think it's a lot of different like gender conversations to happen because you know you look at the older kind of Disney princesses where it's just like you meet a man you kiss and then you see happily ever after and the movie's over and it's just like there's so much more happening in the this kind of like era of film you know Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and I think I talked about this in a little mermaid episode but like you can kind of track how society as well particularly America like how women were how they were like integrating themselves in society based on like how the Disney princesses of the era are portrayed themselves like you have the original princesses like Cinderella Snow White Aurora like more passive princesses so like I mean I like to give Cinderella her credit because she you know she's just trying to get out of an abusive household but like there are more like passive characters and then you get kind of the 90s and the 80s where like women are starting to like become more empowered and like you know feminism is becoming more and more prevalent in our society that's we have characters like ariel who is more on the passive side but is also more active than the characters before and then you have the actual action heroes like pocahontas and mulan and then you have characters like tiana and rapunzel who literally go on their own adventures they're like kind of the first disney princesses to go on actual adventure and then we go to moana who like it literally Moana is just an adventure film like it's just her yeah. going on this adventure so it's really interesting kind of the track like how the Disney princesses change over time what also compared to like overall society at the time yeah this idea to make Anna and Elsa's sisters really just kind of change the film from that point on and they even had like a what was called a sister summit where they took different women from the studio who had <laughs> sisters and kind of gave their experience on what it's like to have a sister and what their relationship is like and that's kind of the summit tactic is kind of something that's like pretty common for the studio I kind of met like I said in the Tangle episode I know I'm referencing older episodes all this episode the women were like we want to make the hottest character we can and that's how they made Flynn Rider that is something really cool I feel like that I've noticed a lot in the especially when it comes to Walt Disney Animation Studios that like they like to pull 
opinions and perspectives from everyone on the team. And yes, I feel like these studios could be like more diverse in terms of who makes up the studios, but I do like how it is seems to be like a collaborative studio where like they pull you aside and be like, hey, I want your perspective on this or some this like topic. And, you know, I honestly, I mean, ultimately like the relationship between the sisters is the core of this movie. So obviously they got something out of it. Um, unfortunately though, the film was still having strip problems by 2012. And so once Wreck-It Ralph wrapped up, they brought its screenwriter, Jennifer Lee, onto the project to kind of help work out the script. And she thought it was going to be uh, just a temporary gig that lasted for eight weeks. Joke's on her because it wasn't. But, you know, <laughs> it worked out for her in the end. A big contribution for her was developing Anna's personality. And a lot of people want, apparently want to see her as like a codependent character who still is isolated but like because she's isolated is kind of like attaches herself to the people around her and you still kind of get glimpses of that but definitely it's not like an important factor of her personality and Lee did not like that and while she said she couldn't articulate the idea first she realized honest story is a coming of age one which it honestly is like she is this naive sheltered girl who has been cut off from the outside world not by her choice and she's suddenly forced to confront the outside world just on her own and kind of grow and mature in the process after getting a cruel awakening. Yeah, I think that, like, is truly it. Because even, like, you think about, like, her relationship with, like, Hans and Kristoff and even with Elsa, like, watching, like, all of those relationships kind of come to fruition, like, she grows up in that process, too. Like, she wakes up and she's like, oh, my God, for the first time in forever, everything is open, I get to find love, and blah, 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 blah. But from the beginning of the movie to the end, she's like fully matured at this point. As much as like she would, because I think the part the part I love about Anna is that like she has such like a kid personality and like a quirky personality, which I relate to. But it's just was like, I'm doing this on my own. I'm finding my sister. And she's like really starting to put her foot down, especially at the end. And I'm like, no, no one's going to think of it as a coming of age story because they're just going to see it as fairy tale. But it truly is. And like kind of go off that. It is interesting because like every character that she interacts with, or at least every major character, kind of in different ways talks down to her like even Elsa talks down to her like when they were like about like marrying Hans um Kristoff talks down to her obviously Hans talks down to her at the end and like she's always like a character who's like never really looked at super seriously and then she does grow and mature and like not to talk about Frozen 2 because like that'll be its own thing but like she eventually really comes into her own by the end of Frozen 2. And so it's kind of like mm. I really do like Anna as a character and I think she is for me, a more fascinating character to look at than Elsa because she does have this, she does have this like arc and development that's like really, when you like pair it all together, it's really fascinating to look at. Yeah, I think honestly, like the only person who like doesn't look down to her is like Olaf. Olaf's on the same page as her. Like yeah. Olaf and her are like the only two people who are like seen as like quirky, immature, goofy, like, mm -hmm. and it's just like, they're the ones who call ultimately like, save the day they're the ones kind of get the ball rolling and get everything like good at the end <laughs> it's just it's like and I think maybe that's why I love the two of them where it's like I relate to them in that like you know I am like the youngest sibling and I'm also like kind of like always been the youngest in a friend group and I'm a little like more innocent and so I'm like okay I'm used to people talking down to me and like not always in a negative way but like kind of being like the kid one everywhere and so it's just it's okay, yes, I'm Olaf and then I do like hugs and everything else. But it's just like both of them are like the ones who are like 
kind of belittled, but they're the ones who are like, I can do this. You know, there's like a confidence that comes out in both of them. Yeah, for sure. Lee, when she was writing this script and when she was working on the script, she took a lot of inspiration from her own relationship with her sister and also her daughter. Um, I didn't catch what age she was, but she was she was young when she was making this film. And she really did want more scenes between Anna and Elsa because they don't really share a lot of screen time together in the movie, um, specifically them as teenagers. But she knew that like cutting those scenes would better serve like the feeling of separation because yeah, as much as the film is about the dynamic between the two, they don't have a lot of screen time together. And I think that's very purposeful because they're both isolated characters, um, one by choice, the other not by choice. And so I do think when it shows them together, it does make it more powerful. And her contributions to the film were so important that she was eventually promoted to co-director the film alongside Buck. And she was the first woman to direct a feature film for Walt Disney Animation Studios, which is like great on its own, but also it's like you've been around this long and it took this long, but you know, she now runs the studio. So, you know, good for her. Once he who shall not be named was exiled, she took the reins. Even like going back to what you were saying before about like the sister kind of model, like and like the separation of the two, like looking back and thinking about the scene where like they're standing in the ball at like Elsa's coronation, like you could see the awkwardness of like Anna, you can see the like awkwardness and shyness of like Anna trying to like relate to her older sister and like being the younger sister with like an older sibling. Like I've, I've been there and I felt that and just, you know, a separation between like siblings, both in physical physicality and like age and everything else. Like it just was like, really interesting like how they spot on put the dynamic in because it's hard to catch at first but when you've seen it many times you're like oh I see that and I feel that and I've lived that you can both sense the awkwardness but also the love between the two like you can tell that they both care for each other but it's also like they don't know how to talk to each other <laughs> yeah and there's like a you know Elsa's dealing with her own stuff and Anna's mm-hmm. trying to just relate and just was like you know they are kind of like teenagers young yeah. adults at that realm and like that's already an awkward age so like you're trying to relate to like a sibling in that realm and like you're two different generations and you're like what is happening yeah and now kind of like to like transition into the music of the film which is very very important to this film like arguably part of the reason it became such a phenomenon um songwriters Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez joined in early 2012 um they've already had a relationship with Disney. They made the songs for 2011's criminally underrated Winnie the Pooh and Finding Nemo the Musical at Disney's Animal Kingdom and both Broadway veterans. Um, Robert Lopez won a Tony at this point for Avenue Q. So like very much established names. And as I mentioned, they were extremely crucial to the development of the film story, um, particularly when it comes to Elsa. As I've mentioned countless, countless times. Elsa was always seen as the villain of the story, um, very much in line with the original Snow Queen story. I saw different like iterations of the story, like one where Anna's heart gets frozen, she has to go find Elsa to unthaw it. One where um, Elsa kidnaps Anna and frees her heart intentionally, and Anna has to go find Hans to unthaw her heart with a true love's kiss. She tries to attack the town with her army of evil snowmen. She intentionally freezes the kingdom. But while writing Let It Go, the Lopez's saw Elsa as a more complex character. They didn't see her as a villain. They saw her as just a girl who's struggling to control her powers. And they saw Elsa as a character who was driven by fear, 
while Elsa is a character driven by love, which very much shows through in the final product. And once they wrote Let It Go, like they were like, this isn't a villain song. This is a song about someone who's struggling with themselves and coming to terms with what they are. And once Lee saw this, she completely rewrote the first act. And finally, they cracked the character of the Snow Queen. And she was no longer a villain, but she was a protagonist, but a complicated protagonist. And sometimes even verging line between protagonist and anti-hero, but definitely not a villain anymore. Um, this also had like the ripple effect of turning Hans, who was more of just a neutral love interest character, into the film's final act twist villain. You know, which is um, a pretty normal thing for these films that they, like their development really goes up to the wire. Um, it was being tweaked even in mid-2013. And the song, The First Time in Forever, wasn't even written until June. And when they wrote that film, even the Lopez has said, that kind of like set the tone for the rest of the movie. And they ended up writing 25 songs for the film, only which eight were used. Let me just say, Disney has such, a good way of incorporating music in their films because like I feel like if you give me every any movie there's at least like one or two songs where I'm like that is a bop Mm -hmm. and like Frozen is that like you like after it came out like everyone was singing Let It Go like you know and they had Demi Lovato do like the the cover of it and just the plays with the credits and it just is like I just need to gush about the music because it is perfect (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely a great soundtrack. Honestly, it's quickly became one of the most iconic Disney soundtracks, because I feel like for a lot of Disney movies, like, you know, you get one or two songs that are really remembered from that movie and that get played in the parks and everywhere. But like Frozen, like everyone knows. Okay, maybe not everyone knows like the last song the trolls sing, but like everyone knows for the first time in forever. Let it go in summer. Do you want to build a snowman? You want to build like, a snowman? Even love is like an open love, door. love is an open door. Like, so I've seen the Broadway musical twice. And the second time I saw it, I saw it with my partner. Hey, Owen. Um, <laughs> and he knew Frozen, but when it ended, he was like, oh my God, like we should be on our Hans Halloween. And I'm like, you don't know how this ends, do you? And yes, Hans is the villain at the end, but it's just as like, that's a beautiful song. I'm just like, yeah. yeah, like, you know, like finding love for the first time, feeling seen by somebody. Cause like, yes, Han is a villain. But he's like, I'm like the youngest of 12 brothers. No one cares about me. And it's just it's like, I don't know. Like, even though he's a villain and like he gets booted at the end, like that song is, I love that song. Let it go is iconic. Like it's, all of it's perfect. Yeah. And I know you didn't get to see the fireworks show because they're not, doing fireworks show at the moment but at magic kingdom their big fireworks show as i think that's what when fireworks start they're gonna do that again it's called happily ever after there is a romance section of the um show it uses that song but it's like a stripped down version with like just guitar and it's like a duet and it's like very much more like heartfelt because like the original one it's kind of like a little more comedic tone to it but this one it like you know pared down to like a very much like a romantic song between the two and so like it is that interesting song like can have different interpretations based on like how you're viewing it and like based on like what you already know about the movie whether you know about like the how the characters end up or not and just like we're gonna forget like who these characters are because this is a good love song like oh I can't wait to see it like stripped down at the fireworks oh my god that's gonna be so beautiful 
also going to the music, the score of the film composed by Christoph Beck, who got his start in TV, most notably for one of my favorite shows, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but also did the scores for films like Bring It On, A Cinderella Story, The Hangover, just to name a few. And he was hired for this film after composing the delightful Disney short Paper Man, which I adore and love. I think they paired it with Wreck-It Ralph. I could be wrong, but it's so cute. It's on Disney Plus. Watch it if you haven't. And the score, much like the film itself, very inspired by Scandinavian and Sami culture. It uses a lot of traditional orchestral instruments, but also uses more traditional Norwegian instruments like the buk horn. It, it, if you don't know what it is, you, you know, you've heard it before. It's just like the little like horn you just blow and just makes that like loud, low. Yeah. Yes. And also traditional vocal techniques like kulning, which I probably butchered the pronunciation of. And like the score, the film's visual design, very much influenced by Scandinavian culture. And Disney actually funded three research trips for the production team to go to places like Norway to kind of understand the culture and the landmarks and the design and the aesthetics. And there's a lot of Scandinavian landmarks and cultural elements present throughout the film. And one such including reindeer being a primary mode of transportation that was taken from the Sami culture and it allowed them to create this authentic looking world for the movie. And that's something that's something I really feel like that not a lot of people talk about, but I feel like Disney films, animated films of this modern era are really good at world building and like they each kind of have their own little aesthetic flair like Frozen is the Scandinavian culture, Um, even Tangled is like this lush German forest, Moana is like a tropical island, Um, even films like Big Hero 6 is very this metropolitan Japanese inspired aesthetic and Zootopia is just this modern city and I think they do a really good job of like taking their influences and making just fleshed out worlds based off of it. Do you want to build a snowman? Come on, let's go and play. I never see you anymore. Come out the door. It's like you've gone away. We used to be best buddies. And now we're not. I wish you would tell me why. Do you want to build a snowman? doesn't have to be a snowman. Oh, way, Anna. I mean, I feel like that's, like, a good way to do it, like, because, like, I mean, when you have, like, a real world location, like, obviously for some movies like Coco, like, it wouldn't work probably if it weren't set in Mexico, but, like, if you have an area that's not real, it allows you to take a little more liberties and lets you to pull from, like, more different influences than just one specific, like, area. I think it's cool that they, like, you know they like don't base it off a certain place but like the influences are there too mm-hmm. like clearly like it's you can tell like what region of the world it's based in but very much yeah kind of like i mean to a film that's also very similar to it on uh, moana which like very clearly not set in like the real world or reality but like very much a fantasy world but obviously one that is rooted in like polynesian traditions and cultures but like not one specific one kind of like pulls from different angles so I kind of I kind of like that approach because like like I said it gives you more liberties and more freedom to like how you present this world but also does give it an authentic feel going on to the voice cast um this is very similar to kind of Tangled and older Disney films and that like there aren't any like super major like A-list stars at least I mean when the movie was out but a very Broadway heavy cast which is fitting because this is a Broadway musical and a lot of Tony nominees and Tony winners in this cast. An all-star cast in my opinion, mm-hmm. truly. 
starting off with like the headliner of this film, Kristen Bell as Anna, who joined the cast in 2012 and used several voice recordings when, from when she was younger of her singing different songs, including Part of Your World. And a fun fact that I learned while doing research is that she was pregnant while recording. And because of this, her voice kind of deepened. And so she had to re-record some of her lines, which I mean, lines get re-recorded all the time in animated films and Disney films. But just like, I didn't really clock for it when I was um, watching this film, but I kind of want to go back and see if like there were noticeable differences in her voice, like like if there's like any noticeable change that you could hear in the final product. I didn't know that. Oh my God. Why? I mean, it's, it's why not? Like, it's not like you have to put that much effort into, you just got to show up to the recording booth and say your line. So, I mean, if you're like an actor who's like carrying a child, like why not? It's like the perfect yeah. way to like still do work while not having to do a ton of work. Yeah, true. Um, Kristen Bell and the creators of the film, they wanted to create um, a Disney heroine that was very much, kind of breaking the mold from your traditional heroine who's like very poised and very confident even like less confident characters like Mulan still has this like grace to her and with Anna they wanted to create a character who's very much awkward and scrappy and kind of like naive to the world and makes a fool out of herself a lot of times unintentionally and Belle Prior to this, she was not really known as a singer, but I guess she was classically trained as a singer. And like, I mean, obviously she's, she's a great singing talent. Like as we can see in the film, like very, it's honestly a really kind of different from your traditional like Broadway singer that you get in these Disney movies. So it's not a very belty voice, very much like a lilty, like goes into falsetto instead of like hitting your like high notes, like her sister does. Yeah, I think it's also interesting because Kristen Bell, like, I didn't really get to know her to, like until pretty recently. Like, and her other big role besides Anna is Eleanor Shellstrop in The Good Place, mm-hmm. which is a totally, completely like one eighty of like who Anna is. Yeah. And I think it's just like I remember there was like something where she was doing, and I like they mentioned those two roles, and I'm like, had to just like remember. I was like, I can't picture her doing both of these. But at the end of the day, I think she was perfect for it because like you look at how she did um, Eleanor. And I just mm-hmm. think like that kind of same like energy in a way was brought to Anna where it's not like like so graceful and can do everything every single day. Like it was a little like awkward and a little more down to earth the way like she did her other roles. I feel like she's like very underrated as an actress um, because she does have a lot of range. And I mean, and she was definitely not a stranger to the world of voice acting and also um, I don't know. You haven't seen Gossip Girl, right? The, the original version of it. I have not. Well, she Sorry is to everyone listening. I have not. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. She famously is the narrator of that show. And like, she's not specifically a character, but um, she's like the voice of this like blog that kind of like gossips on like the elite of New York's high society, like the teenagers of New York's high society. And like, it's very much that like kind of snarky tone, not like as like necessarily like malicious as Eleanor can be, but like very much like snarky tongue in cheek. Kristen Bell was Gossip Girl. (laughs) Yeah, no, she literally was Gossip Girl. Like, I mean, you know, Gossip Girl ended up being a different character, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, But yes, for she (laughs) is Gossip Girl basically. This like the range of her characters is so interesting to me. Like that, I think that's like so cool to like witness. Mm-hmm, for sure. Like okay, you think Anna Princess? You see Eleanor and Eleanor is like a whole other podcast of unpacking Eleanor. Oh yeah. Um, and then Gossip Girl is 
but she I, she killed Anna oh, in yeah. the best way. And then I should kill Anna. She, she killed the role. She did great. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. I feel like she really does bring this like kind of like scrappy energy. Like you can like definitely bring this energy of like she she's a go getter, but she's not like very equipped to be a go-getter but she still tries anyway like she is an optimist through and through for better or worse that very much shines through in her performance also in the cast is probably the breakout star of this film i would say um even though which is weird saying because she was like very much an established actress before this but um adina menzel is elsa a broadway legend which like yeah i feel like even if you know like a casual knowledge of like broadway musicals you probably have heard the name before um Famous for roles in like Maureen and Rent, Alphaba in Wicked, which was probably prior to Elsa, her signature role, which did won her a Tony. As Iconic I said, Iconic role. Yes, yes, for sure. Very and like honestly, like Alphaba very much is kind of like a parallel to Elsa in a lot of ways. I am far from the first person to make that comparison, but they very are similar characters. And I don't know too much about Wicked. Like I know the kind of like story premise, but I yes. think yeah, I think that's interesting. Like this like person who's set up to be a villain mm-hmm. and it's kind of I don't know but you see this a lot where like I know this could be another podcast episode but we see how like a lot of villains are kind of getting their like origin story and it's yes. like does so-and-so deserve the alphabet treatment when it's also like Elsa got that in like the creation of her story the villain is kind of given like you know the empathy you see that with like something like Cruella like mm-hmm. that was made because it's like okay we're gonna see like her origin story and it's like does Carla deserve the alphabet treatment and that kind of yeah you know. oh god I have <laughs> I have my thoughts on Cruella and the whole I mean I have my thoughts on the whole Cruella and villain origin story thing I, I I didn't like really make that connection but yeah she kind of did get that treatment just she never actually got the chance to be a villain but she kind of did get that treatment like going from a villain to like kind of being seen in a new light as a tragic character And as I mentioned in the Tangled episode, she did audition for the role of Rapunzel, but when she didn't get that role, her audition was kept and was asked to audition for Elsa. And something I didn't know is that Megan Mullally, known for like roles in like Will and Grace and all that, um, originally was cast as Elsa when she was still a villain, but was eventually replaced. I couldn't really find any information um, as regards to like what exactly happened. I guess it's just like, you know, when the character went to a different direction, they were like, "Mm, you're portrayal isn't necessarily what we're looking for which is I mean fairly common it just most recently happened in Ryan the Last Dragon which the main actor of that film was replaced after previously being announced and everything so I mean it's pretty common and it's like obviously the film wasn't like fully formed yet anyway and Menzel's vocal range which I mean as you can see in the film itself very high vocal range the Lopez's wrote let it go to accommodate her vocal range and like so she kind of had an influence on the creation of the film itself and its songs. Bella and Menzel actually did prepare for these roles together and they worked on a tailor together and they actually sang a duet um, Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler so like clearly already like had a relationship before which I mean they have great chemistry in the film itself even though they, they even though they don't share a ton of scenes together but it is kind of fun that like they had to kind of like oh we both want this role and I want to work with you so we will work on this together and even the scenes they aren't together like you just I don't, like you said the chemistry is like perfect and I think that's mm-hmm. like even the way they I don't know looking at Dino's other roles like I like that kind of like idea of like the grace that kind of also supposed to carry a scene through and just I, I don't know. Both of them love, mm-hmm. love, love, love. <laughs> Big fan of this cast in general. And finally, rounding out the cast is Jonathan Groff as Kristoff, who, even though he is 
in many Broadway shows. He doesn't really get a chance to sing in this movie. I mean, that's rectified in Frozen 2. Um, Actually, Sam corrected. Reindeers are better than people. I, that's why I said you doesn't miss really. You missed his solo. <laughs> no, the, the minute long. Is that even a minute? Does it even crack a minute? It's on the soundtrack. So. It is. <laughs> but it is. even like, no, like, even I think about like Jonathan Groff and I like rewatching some of old stuff and like, you know, he was in Hamilton, but mm-hmm. made a big laugh and everything. But he's also like, bad that he was in Glee. So I'm like, he also yeah. like, everyone who's like in these roles has such like amazing like track lists of like what they did previously. Like it's yeah. very perfectly cast. Yeah. Not to, not to gush over every single person you mentioned, but no i mean when i saw like not to talk about frozen 2 too much but when i saw frozen 2 and he literally like sang in like the second verse of the first song i'm like okay finally they're letting him like actually sing in this movie yeah santino fontana as hans and josh gad as olaf both of them and i think even jonathan groff i think is a tony winner as well they're all tony i think they're all tony winners um, I could be wrong. I don't know if Josh Gad won a Tony or not for Book of Mormon. But Olaf was present throughout most of the film's production. Olaf was originally envisioned as a henchman of Elsa, who was cast aside because he was not intimidating enough. Though his character did kind of go through transformation and later became to represent the love between the two sisters, kind of a reminder of happier times between the two. And it's kind of fitting that, you know, the first time she's allowed to like use her powers and uh, and can let go more or less that's the first thing she makes is this symbol of the love of her sister i i love olaf originally like when i saw the promo and it was all about olaf i'm like i i'm going to hate this character i know i'm going to hate this character it's going to be <laughs> he's going to be like the minions and like even though like outside of the film kind of still is annoying like in the film he's not he's like very like very much like kind of the film's heart even like outside the film like if you I mean I don't know if it changed since Frozen 2 came out but I feel like a lot of the stuff you see is like it's gonna be Anna and Elsa first Mm -hmm. and then Olaf and it's like but I want Olaf I feel like Olaf the mascot of the movie like and I don't know, just his personality. I don't want to jump to like, I don't want to jump to the section if you're not ready, but just like, I love, I love that little snowman. I love him so much. No, we can totally talk about Olaf now. Yeah, like, I think definitely before the movie came out, Disney like thought he was going to be the breakout character of the movie. Like, kind of like, again, to go back to the minions, like how the minions like pretty much eclipsed anything that, um, anything else related to Despicable Me I think Disney really positioned him as like the film's breakout and like the mascot of the film and it turns out no people love the sisters they love how angsty Elsa is they love how awkward Anna is they love the relationship between the two who would have guessed that the core relationship of the movie would have been the thing that audiences attach to the most so it's definitely interesting yeah because like I definitely can see a world where like Olaf is like the character from the movie that you see everywhere and everything and you you kind of still you get your share of Olaf merch for sure yeah but... and like it's not like he's like totally forgotten about like mm-hmm. still a main character but he's not like the main character yeah and like it's like the perfect level because I feel like I don't remember a lot of the I mean it was back in 2013 I don't remember a lot of the promo of Frozen anyway mm-hmm. um but you know people are like oh Katie you're Olaf I was like I don't know who you're talking about and then like 
he's not overwhelming like the minions, but he's not like disregarded like a certain chicken in Milano. <laughs> um, but I know that's another. That's another, a different conversation. That's a different conversation, but not to go on a whole tangent about love. Just like, I don't know, I feel so seen by him. Like just like his innocent charm and just like, you know, I feel like him and Anna like are in the same wavelength being naive, but it's like Olaf is like, I like warm hugs in summer. And that's like, the, like that defines his personality like perfectly. And then like that whole song he does, I know I'm like scrambling my words a little bit. I just Olaf ultimately is like the comic relief character in the film, but like I feel like a lot of things these comic relief characters miss out on is like the heart, and these like Olaf is also in a way the heart of the movie while also being the comic relief. And so like I could definitely see a world where like he is overbearing, like the minions. Like every scene of him is like a gag, where like it's like him falling apart or him making like a joke or something. And I can see a world where like he's literally on every piece of merchandise but like I feel like by giving him like both like a backstory that's so connected to the sisters and also like giving him this like desire to like see the outside world kind of like Anna like see the world outside of winter kind of gives him a little like heart that kind of pulls him back from being an overbearing annoying character yeah can we take a minute to talk about in summer (laughs) please it's a forgotten song definitely in the movie you know, and it wasn't until I, I ended up writing a poem about like personifying myself as Olaf. Most of the time about depression, which like I can't explain, but you know, it's a forgotten song. But once you like really remember it, it's like phenomenal. And it's just so funny and just like, I don't know. I've, I have such a soft spot for Olaf because I really do like feel connected to him and like the little like innocence he has and just like the like unconditional love he has for everybody in the show no when I watched um I mean I tweeted out I you saw this week but when I was watching like Frozen I literally tweeted out like it's like something like in summer is like comedic genius or whatever and like I remember watching being in the theater and like winter's a great time to stay in and cuddle but put me in summer and I'll be uh and it literally shows a puddle and it's like happy snowman I legitimately like burst out laughing in the theater <laughs> when I saw that movie and then when Kristoff goes I'm gonna tell him and Anna goes don't you dare it has this like really dark undertone to it because like we as the audience know that in summer he will melt but like he does not know that because he was literally born that day even the fact that like he's singing a song about summer you forget that like it's supposed to be summer and anna Mm -hmm. and elsa froze everything so i'm like oh you'll get your chance buddy and it's like no it should be now but like that's why you're even here because yep. Elsa froze everything. So That's like, literally why he's alive. It like it kind of messes with your perception of like what season is it actually supposed to be. Um, I just love him. I don't know, and also like the way he like re- like he. I know he is like the focal point of like what connects Anna and Elsa, but the way like you know everyone's kind of like someone worth melting for and that idea and just like. But I do feel like that whole like point of him some people are worth melting for is the thing that kind of like pulls him away from like being that annoying mascot character because like he has this heart and like he is a naive character and like I feel like that he's an innocent character too he's like the one innocent character in this movie and unlike like other some mascot characters that like literally just exist to cause problems he he doesn't really cause problems in the movie I think that's like a big thing like 
you think of these like mascot characters kind of like you know hey hey from moana and the minions I, I know i keep referencing the minions i'm sorry but like they came out around the same time their big thing in the movie is causing problems for the main yeah. character and like olaf does not do that once and olaf ends up being like a like yeah he's kind of like comic relief but he ends up being like a pretty smart character and pretty mm-hmm. like you know it like, comes to the rescue and like everything and kind of is the one also piece together that like oh Kristoff's coming and like that should be who you're supposed to kiss and like mm-hmm. obviously that's not like the true love that saves everything but like yeah. you know he kind of catches on the things before everyone else does and like oh Kristoff likes you oh like you're just realizing this now I realized it five songs ago like let's go <laughs> like yeah um you know he's really I feel like he's like undermined in a way especially like being like that comic relief silly character who's like I'm a snowman and I like summer and everyone's like okay you're dumb and it's like no like he's actually kind of like smarter than you think mm-hmm. he's definitely like not a character that would work as the main character of a movie and like I mean we have seen him like star in like shorts and like in my opinion it's not super successful but like as like a supporting character in the character's journeys in the sister's journey I think he works perfectly yeah and so Frozen released on November 27th, 2013, surprisingly did not debut at number one at the box office, but did set a record for a Disney animated film opening. And despite making less money in second week, it did ultimately creep up to number one, eventually made over $1.2 billion at the box office, which set a number of records. Um, not only that being the highest grossing film of 2013 and Disney's highest and Disney's highest grossing animated film at the time, it was also the highest grossing animated film of all time until 2019. And, you know, it's kind of murky depending on what you consider an animated film, but it's either Frozen 2 or the 2019 Lion King overtaking it, which technically is an animated film. But yeah. depending on who you ask, some people call it, claim it's not. But for six years, it was still the like highest grossing animated film of all time, which is crazy. I think this is a lot because like I remember when it first came out, there's a little bit of like, I came out when I, I was in high school. And again, mm-hmm. like everyone was like kind of trying to be like, I'm too cool. For, I'm too old for this. I'm too cool for it. When like we all really weren't. Um, but just like the popularity, like it really had like such a monumental like impact. And, you know, you still, it's not like, a movie that kind of like gets hype and fades away like you walk outside on Halloween there are still little girls dressed up as Anna and Elsa mm-hmm. like it is still like a very very popular you know movie yeah and even franchise but yeah like I talk about this all the time but it is just like I like think like why Frozen like why did like and I even in like a shady like snarky way but like why was Frozen the one that like became like the phenomenon I mean clearly films like Tangled and Moana were very much successful and like did have lasting power but like nothing has come even close to Frozen's like just but not level of phenomenon and it's just like it's so interesting that this was like the one that became like a honestly a generation defining movie really I think it's like I mean we've talked about it like so much but I do think like this like switch of like this idea of like the happily ever after with the princess like definitely made an impact especially clearly made an impact on like the younger generations mm-hmm. you know and like kind of like true love isn't just like romantic like true love is everywhere and kind of like the yeah. like it's, it's family and everything else but honestly like i mean little kids sometimes like they're not going to analyze that in that way they're probably no. just like oh sister is love i love my sister and then like you know little kids are probably also more attracted to the soundtrack like you i think mm. that like the music definitely like really made a big point 
for years you could you could hear little great kids going like singing let it go and like yeah there's no one who doesn't know that song we're like even if they haven't even seen frozen they're like okay i know i know that song like i know it's a disney song like i know that's a dina manzel's voice like it just i have a combination of a few other a few different things but i think like it's just such like a you know they cast it with adina and like she knocked it out of the park with her music or the switch of like the trope but it just like no, I do feel like Let It Go and the overall soundtrack definitely was a contributing factor. Um, speaking of the soundtrack, it reached number one on the Billboard 200 chart, which is like kind of crazy for a soundtrack in general, because you don't really see film soundtracks. You know, they can get success, but you don't see them like be the most successful album of a of a given week. And it ended up staying there for 13 non-consecutive weeks. So like Definitely a soundtrack with staying power and Ian let it go even reach number five on the hot 100, which is like crazy to see like a Disney song get like, I mean, obviously Disney songs are popular, but like to get this level of popularity and like, I would say like for a certain generation of people, probably like the Lion King is the most iconic Disney soundtrack, but like this definitely has quick quickly became one of the most iconic Disney soundtracks and like probably for a certain generation of people like just like a little younger than us the most iconic disney soundtrack which is like crazy yeah but even i think like i don't know if also just because you know yes it's based off of an older story like this like the snow queen but i don't know if it's like that's not as popular as like okay when tangled came out i love tangled but you knew it was about rapunzel which like we heard stories about that forever yeah. growing up and i don't know if because like the snow queen wasn't a popular fairy tale growing mm-hmm. up that like you know the, for most people and like myself included like you saw this movie and you're like oh they created something different and cool and they're like okay like in my head I didn't realize it was based on something so I don't know if that also played a role of like what other people thought at all all these films are gonna last like probably longer than us like films like Cinderella and Snow White that continue to like be popular to this day but like Frozen definitely is gonna be one of those films that like people are gonna remember like years down the line yeah frozen also won two oscars for best animated film and best original song for let it go um i think that the best original song oscar got um robert lopez and egot which if you don't know is an emmy grammy oscar and tony which is like an accomplishment very few people have gotten and also surprisingly a little it was the first film from walt disney animation studios to win best animated film oscar um i think they also won it for zootopia in 2016 but yeah like the award first started in 2002 and the first film to win it was shrek and then basically it was like all pixar they should I mean, I've gone, I've given my thoughts on Shrek, so we, I won't rehash it here. But yeah, basically that award was basically like owned by Pixar. I think Spirited Away won it one year. But yeah, this was their first time winning this, which is kind of crazy considering like they are probably the most influential animation studio in history. Yeah, when you think about anime movies, like you think of like Disney Pixar mm-hmm. or even like like Disney Comic Pixar and then Disney MDAX and Pixar. Yes. So yeah, it's that's amazing yeah um and as we like just touched upon the film became a full-on phenomenon very quickly its dvd sales were like massively huge and quickly became one of disney's top tier franchises like up there with marvel and star Wars. it's basically like their franchises now are like marvel star wars mickey mouse frozen and like they quickly started releasing i mean we'll get 
to this in a second and like at near the end of the podcast but they quickly like were churning out related frozen media to capitalize on the film's continuing success honestly i feel like you like you know when you see a big franchise like obviously you think of disney you think of mickey mouse like now that's like disney's logo Mm -hmm. but when you think of a big franchise like you kind of think of it as like being kind of annoying like we touch on the minions and like they kind of get it's been a little obsessive with them yeah but i don't even think like frozen like is that annoying like it's like popular but like no one has really like fully trashed on it or like it's like everyone's really like okay like frozen cool and even like whether it's if it's not positive it's at least like neutral and i think like Mm -hmm. that says a lot about like disney become like taking it as a franchise where like it's really big and it's but it's not like overwhelming and like usually when you see criticisms of frozen it's kind of like it's like I like Tangled better than Frozen I bet that's an unpopular opinion like comments you see (laughs) online and yeah because like I think because like I don't want to say they don't throw it in your face because they definitely do throw it in your face but like it's not maybe because the film itself is not really aggressive in the way Despicable Me is something like that like it's just it's a family film about sisters who love each other it's very like at its core gentle and you know when you're like even just talking about like it becoming franchises I do like it really dawned on me like Yes, I mean, you can consider films like Little Mermaid and The Lion King their own franchises, but like it's kind of like a unique case because like other franchises for Disney are like more like brands, like, you know, like the Marvel, which encompasses so many movies and characters, Star Wars, which is like its own big thing. Even Mickey Mouse is like not like just one singular film, but for Frozen, it's literally just like this whole franchise just based on like a specific film well now two films yeah. but like I just find it just kind of shows us how popular that one film was and is and even, and even when you think of like the princess as like as like a franchise like you think about like Little Mermaid, Ariel, like Cinderella like you don't even think about it like the movies like you do Frozen like you think mm-hmm. of it as like the princess franchise where it's like a subsect of Disney where like all the like you know, I'm thinking about that scene in Wreck-It Ralph where, like, all the princesses are together, and it's, like, that's kind of what you think of. Like, it's not based off a film, but it's based off, like, a collective, like, classic role. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Frozen is based, yeah, like you said, Frozen's based off, like, one movie. Now two movies, but, like, one, you know. It's it's staggering just how popular it is and, like, how popular quickly it became so popular. Yeah, we will we'll touch more about its like impact and it's like what is popularity led to near the end of this. Um, and I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. I drink in my hand, my snow up against the burning sand, probably getting gorgeously tanned in summer. I'll finally see a summer breeze blow away a winter storm. Find out what happens to solid water when it gets warm. And I can't wait to see what my buddies all think of me. Just imagine how much cooler I'll be in summer. And so, like, now that we got that, frankly, exhaustive history out of the way, um, <laughs> now we kind of, like, want to talk a bit about the film itself. And I feel like you got, we have to start off with the soundtrack. But, like, I know we already kind of touched on the soundtrack. But, like, something I always notice in this film is, like, the pacing of the soundtrack is really odd to me. Like, it's like the first like two thirds of the film, they just throw one song after the other. Like, it's like song after song after song. And like, then like, we just go halfway through and there's just no songs at all. And I know that's pretty common for Disney movies. Like, I feel like it's kind of a thing, but for some reason it just really hits me like, huh, they really just like go all in on the songs and then just like stop like halfway through. 
I'm trying to think back. Like, I know I just watched it last week, but, like, I always felt like the music flowed really well. I think the beginning definitely has, like, song, 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 and then there's, like, mm-hmm. a little bit of a break. But even, like, the reprise of, like, do you want to build a snowman when, like, Anna is at, like, Elsa's castle and is like, hey, you froze everything. We need you to unfreeze it. It kind of becomes... Yeah, I feel like it's at least, like, inserts itself pretty naturally mm-hmm. whereas like you know i feel like there are some films and some musicals in general where it's like we're gonna break out into song and there's no like smooth transition yeah um i don't know i, I didn't think of it as i have any word pacing but please tell me more um it's, i don't know for some reason like especially like once they do like the fixer upper song which is a film song i always forget about in that movie because i i know like little mermaid like that film just like kind of stops with songs too but maybe because so much happens in that like last third of the film Anna starts freezing very much. They have to go to Arendelle. Hans and his guards capture Elsa. She gets trapped. Elm Hans reveals that he's evil. He like locks Anna up to die. And then they sneak out. And Kristoff goes back to find Anna. It just feels like so much happens. And maybe it's because the film kind of does take a bit of a darker turn in its last third. Because it's like, oh no, Anna's going to literally die. So maybe that's like <laughs> why they like took out songs. But like, I don't know because I when I watch Frozen two like they they do end the songs like near the end but like uh, even like Anna gets her like big number like you know pretty close to the end of the film I don't know it's hard for me to like articulate but like I always just notice that like for me like you just go from like do you want to build a snowman immediately into for the first time in forever and then like very shortly after that you get loves an open door and then like it, for some for me like the transition to let it go is always so weird because it just immediately just jumps into the song like you don't even get like a moment with Elsa like being by herself before she goes into the song which is like fine it's not like a major complaint for me but I don't know I just feel like like they really just it feels like they kind of like barrel through the songs and I do think that maybe Frozen 2 is I, I don't know you know Frozen 2 soundtrack is like you know maybe you like it better than the first one or not but like I feel like it does a better job of like pacing the songs like more evenly throughout the movie and I think to your point like even Frozen 2 and I know that's another that's another episode but even Frozen 2 like even at the dark part when like everything you feel like has kind of crumbled Anna has like a sickeningly sad song mm. about like I gotta keep going even though everyone I love is gone they're all dead and, you know and it's like you don't have that in the first one and I don't know I think it's interesting with the musicals too because like I know Frozen is not technically I mean it becomes a musical but you think about it with like musical movies or just musicals in general and it's like either there's no dialogue or there's like a interesting like balance between both it's like what's between the diet like you know mm-hmm. I think Elsa's moment with herself is just the song it's like that's an interesting concept of like she doesn't get to like fully just like process her herself but she's like by herself and she's like okay music you know mm-hmm. and I didn't think about that because I just kind of like went with the flow like oh the song is good but like you don't get like the balance of like when the dialogue actually falls versus like when there's a, a song it's really yeah. it's really interesting to think about yeah, and also, like, that song, Anna song, is, like, my favorite song for the movie, even though it's, like, really a depressing song to, like, when you actually look at those lyrics. But, you know, it's a, that's, that will save that for Frozen 2. But, yeah, like, like, I didn't even think about that, something like that. Like, I would, I think it would be really cool, and, like, I haven't really dabbled into the musical or its soundtrack, but, like, so maybe they, they get that there. But, like, 
we don't really stay with Elsa when like she finds out that she like she caused this awful winter like we get some glimpses of it but like I think it would maybe like towards the other film while she's like locked up it would be like maybe a really powerful moment if she got like just a quiet song of like her realizing like she caused all this because like that's something that like the film doesn't really dive deep into is like her thoughts and her emotions at like the fact that she caused all this like not really suffering but kind of suffering so I feel like that's something like I don't know you know maybe it like it would ruin the pacing of the film but like to add one more song but like yeah obviously musical numbers are there to like get inside the heads of the characters and like allow you to them to express themselves but we don't really get that for Elsa like we only get it one time for her really and like one and a half times even in that part like I think it's interesting because it's like we are asking to get inside Elsa's head when Elsa was originally written as the villain. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, they kind of switched and made her more of a complex character, but like forgot to give that complexity like an inner monologue, you know, of her being like, she seems very like reserved besides mm-hmm. like, let it go. And we don't get to like, even when she's like talking, when Anna comes to see her at a castle, like it's mostly Anna being like, you need to come back. And Elsa's like, no, and then strikes her and then they leave. And it's yeah. like, there also doesn't get a like we don't see Elsa's time to process everything besides one song and it's like was that left intentionally to kind of keep that like complexity villain air? like it's not really that she's really seen as the villain like if you ask anybody on the street but like I don't know I think it's an interesting it's interesting yeah and like you actually like that was also reminding me of like one of my like other issues with the movie is like you get the idea that Elsa knows what she did to her sister like striking her in the heart but like we don't see like her reaction to that like we see her like horrified reaction at like one second but like you know like it would be I feel like it would be nice to know like yeah maybe and maybe that is something just like lingering effects of like making her the villain originally but like yeah we don't see like how she processes like the fact that like she put her sister's life in danger like does she know that or like and I, yeah, I think that maybe maybe that is just like lingering effects of the fact that like she was the villain of the story for the longest time and like you you usually don't get into the heads of villains so like maybe that was some leftover stuff from that film that just they didn't really for whatever reason decide to like really expand upon even like at that part when you're watching it you just think like she doesn't know what to do with her powers and she's trying to just like get on out of there because she's like i'm dangerous to everybody clearly so leave me alone when i you know when i first saw it i never like intentionally thought is that she like tried to hurt her sister like oh, no. especially in no, the no. beginning but just like but I think, it all, I don't know, it adds to a lot of different interesting points about, like, there's, like, villain edit that kind of didn't fully get taken out. No, for sure. And, like, obviously, Frozen 2, like, it, that is very much Elsa's story. Like, she is the main character of, of that one. And, like, you very much get into her head much more with that film. And But that's obviously, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Frozen 1. <laughs> but, like, I think that is, like, one of the improvements that, like, I mean, it seems like they really intentionally went into Frozen 2, like, knowing, like, we want to go more into Elsa's character and, like, her thoughts and, like, feelings and, like, what's going on inside of her head. Continuing on the soundtrack for a second, you mentioned Fixer Upper. I've seen Frozen so many times, but there was one time where like it's been, it's been a while since I've seen it, whatever. And I guess I forgot to see like the really first part where they go to the trolls. And so Fixer Upper came up and I was like, who the hell are these people? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, like you, like obviously you know the classic songs, but like you even forget about Old Lost Song. You forget Fixer Upper, but when you see Fixer Upper, you're like, what the hell is going on? You know, if you like forget to really pay attention to the beginning, it really loses you there. That's like probably like 
the least memorable song and like I don't know I also have this like one of my least favorite tropes is like misunderstandings in movies so like the fact that like the trolls all think they're getting married it just infuriates me so much I'm like they're clearly not here to get married like what they've said this so many times stop doing this stop misunderstanding what they're here for and like pushy songs and like pushy moments really kind of bother me too so the fact that like they're like pushing on each other like to like open up and I know it's like they're like not saying anything like groundbreaking obviously Anna and Kristoff like each other and have feelings for each other I don't know it's just like it's easily my least favorite song in that whole movie I think it also just like it throws you off just mm-hmm. so much and yeah. I think also just like you don't even listen to this boy you think he brings home a girl clearly Kristoff doesn't call home enough like yeah you know um and you just forget that the trolls are even like mm-hmm. a character like you know the very beginning like after like right after like the castle does its thing in the opening credits whatever like you see like everyone gathering ice and you see how Kristoff meets the trolls but it just becomes like you're not again it just like throws you off and you like even if you see it you end up forgetting because you're focused on like the whole actual plot of it and you're not you know yeah and I get why like they did set it up at the beginning like both visiting the troll like him having like this mystical knowledge and power and also like setting up the her getting um a frozen heart but like they could have just gone to him and for advice like uh, yeah like the musical number is just it's so out of place in the movie like it really just doesn't serve like it kind of serves purpose of like really pushing on and Kristoff together but like other than that it doesn't really have like a purpose in the film where like other songs like they clearly have a purpose and like they have an intention and this one kind of just is there to just give the film another musical number it feels like yeah like I understand like if you're foreshadowing it that like Kristoff clearly likes Anna mm-hmm. but like you could tell that from before like it just yeah. you know it was like a little you know you could already get that like you see their chemistry building with each other you see the fact that like Kristoff has clearly cares about Anna and her well-being like especially when she gets struck by Elsa's powers like he immediately rushes to help her and save her it's very similar to Tangled in that like yes they get a big romantic song but like before that like Flynn and Rapunzel like go on this whole adventure together and you see their relationship kind of grow and develop and deepen and that's very much the case with Frozen like I mean why didn't we just give Kristoff and Anna a song like maybe like when they were separated they could have been like oh dang I messed up I actually really love this person instead of like the song that like forces them to together. It's actually interesting because and I know we're talking about this later I've seen the Broadway musical twice and they actually included like a, like an Anna Kristoff song. I mean, okay. like, obviously it's like common for musicals to like, especially music musicals based off like movies and such to like uh-huh. mix and match like new songs with like the original songs of the show. But like, I think there's a few mu- more songs in there, but there's one like where they're like fighting about like Anna, how do you even know Hans is true love? Yeah. And there's a whole like, there's a whole song where they're like walking and get to Elsa and it's like, what do you know about love? And I think there's another one towards the end, but like it just, it would have been a lot better than like random parents being like, you do need to get married. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I definitely get like an actual stage musical does allow you to have more musical numbers than a two hour, like less than two hour film. But like, yeah, like it's just weird how like they, they wrote a number of songs for this movie. Doubted that same (laughs) and like other ones were put on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Um, Speaking of that, like I was, this was the last one I want to talk about in this one, but like, I kind of like is a nice segue into like 
the way this film relies on making fun of Disney tropes, I think everyone when it came out like thought like, oh, how groundbreaking, like they're making fun of themselves. But like, I kind of like this, the multiple times watching it, I'm like, I kind of like, I mean, once is like, you know, if you mention it once, it's like fine. Like, oh, you can't marry a man you just met is fine. But like, I don't know. Like I've like noticed a lot recently, like a lot of like Disney movies brand has become like, making fun of the concept of a Disney movie like I feel like that's most of what the live action remakes are we even get it in things like uh, Moana where like he like says like you have a skirt you have an animal sidekick you're a princess obviously clearly Wreck-It Ralph 2 it's all over that movie and then like it started with like stuff like Enchanted but um I don't know for some reason like this the way this film like harps on like the whole like trope of like falling in love with like someone you just met like I get it in the way that like yes it's not really a message we wanted to have maybe in 2013 but like I get it at the same time it's like I get it you don't need to continually hammer it inside of my head yeah I think that's what I like when I mentioned before like I think it just like I can understand their, their repetition is annoying especially with so many other movies kind of like knocking the same thing but Disney also did that to themselves like mm-hmm. I grew up watching every Disney movie where, like, you kiss a man, you get married, and, like, following and, like, falling into that heteronormativity, which, like, ruined me for years, and also really warped my ideas of, like, what romantic love is supposed to look like. And you kind of feel, it's funny, because it's, like, I never thought of, like, Disney making fun of itself, but Disney kind of just, like, really flipping the script. But, like, it's funny that they're making fun of themselves, because, like, are you made this. This new idea of, like, feminist love and romance, like, and, like, breaking away from heteronormativity, isn't new it just like has the visibility more mm-hmm. you know people like i don't know they could have done it with cinderella where she's like thanks for finding my shoe i don't know you let's go on a few dates before you rescue me from a tower you know and even with like tangled you see how that moves away from it yeah but i don't know i'm really really passionate and invested about calling out disney and they're like heteronormativity because it's like i grew up thinking like mm-hmm. a man is supposed to rescue you and it's like such a patriarchal idea of like okay i can't do anything myself like two girls wrote the song i don't want to be no cinderella like um but i don't know like i didn't see of it as like totally making fun i think it just was like and so the idea of like anna like it's kind of refreshing to be like anna no because she like you know she's so sheltered she's a princess and you kind of like she's like like following the tropes that are like kind of accept for her and everyone's like no and she's like what are you talking it messes her up she's like what are you talking about like I know what true love is like and even if she doesn't like this is like the kind of role that she was supposed to be told her entire life like you're a princess but first man you find you're supposed to marry whatever whatever not to get too aggressive about it (laughs) no definitely like and I like don't get me wrong I I appreciate like the attempts to like modernize the Disney fairy tale I definitely do and it is you can like look at like Anna as like kind of like um, a stand-in for like the little girls who grew up on the Disney princesses and like the things they represent for better or worse and like surprise surprise I like to analyze Disney films and like think too much about them who would have guessed um, and like that's that but it's like just a trend I've noticed that like and like maybe maybe they do maybe it's something they should do maybe they deserve to do it Um, but it's kind of like them like apologizing for like films like their past movies which I mean Yes, there are potentially like problematic stuff with, but I'm like, yes, you can have like one film of you kind of like, you know, explicitly about like flipping the script and like, you know, but you don't need to do it all the time. Like we, we, yeah. like, I think 
I think people know that like times have changed and like times are different and like we have different standards now and like that's and I'm glad Frozen 2 like did move away from that fully because Frozen is in a lot of ways a very traditional Disney movie it doesn't have to end with getting married or finding love and even though Anna does find love like it's kind of like you know then they're not really in a relationship like it's kind of them like just starting a relationship but like yeah and like at the same time like yeah I I think for me, it's just like the way that like, it just continually like hammers it in. Like, yes, I, I yeah. you can do, you can do the point. Like, you know, I get it when like Elsa says it, cause she's protective, but like when they have like a whole Kristoff and Anna spend the whole sleigh ride of him, just like talking her down. I'm like, okay, I get it. I, I got yeah. it the first time. And I think it's interesting because it's like Disney is like calling itself out, but it's like, you could just do it. You don't mm-hmm. need to like address, you know, it's like the idea of like, well, guess what we're doing? We're caught ourselves out. It's like, well, you could just flip the script without telling us you flipped the script a million yeah. times. We don't need a whole like, you know, with other films, like it's kind of mentioned, especially in Moana, but like one time and like yeah. other, like, I don't know, kind of gets made fun of for it. And it's like, but this is everything you've expected of her to do. And it just is like, you could have just been like said, it could just happen. Yeah. And like, I feel like if they did and maybe did it in like a less like, snarky way like okay yeah like you can marry him I guess but like you know to get to know him more before you do it not like yeah. maybe in a less aggressive way and like um when you said like yeah Disney can do it like can acknowledge it without like explicitly acknowledging it because like that's also one of my besides the fact that like a lot of the live action remakes aren't like good but like I've noticed that like a lot of the live action remakes try to make themselves more like quote-unquote woke without actually like doing anything about it like you know it's like in Beauty and the Beast oh Belle's an inventor now why she she just is even though like it doesn't have any like really importance to the movie and like Jasmine like oh I want to be the sultan now and I'm like why it's like just because and on one hand like yes I feel like you know showing that Disney princesses can be more than just like you know girls in pretty dresses which is like you know if that's what you want to do you know all the power to you but like and I think Frozen definitely has the substance to it but like it's them trying to be like more modern and hip to the times without actually like putting in the work to be like yeah. fully progressive it's just like Disney girl Disney princesses can be girl bosses too <laughs> exactly <laughs> literally I was gonna say girl boss and I think it's interesting too because Anna gets like all right so Anna is sheltered her entire life she's a princess they're princessly like you know, stereotypes are like, okay, you're a princess, you have to marry a prince, and he's going to save you, and that's that. And then she follows, like, what's been expected of her, what's been socialized, and everyone makes fun of her. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, it annoys me, and maybe it's annoys me because it's, like, something I've related to for so long, and, like, yeah. something I've been socialized to believe and kind of got made fun of for as well. But it just is, like, it's still not as progressive as they think it is because you're still making fun of you're still yeah. making fun of Anna for something yeah. like that's like not really like in her control like yeah she should have married a guy she just met but you know you're still picking fun at her and like making her seem stupid you know looking back at it, it kind of like doesn't feel right like no, okay yeah. either way Anna's gonna get made fun of or like get picked on or you know fall into some kind of like subordinate role but you're not really giving her any alternatives because like this is what's been socialized of her. So she's just kind of following what's been socialized of her. Yeah. And like it said, like, I can appreciate like them making a Disney film that like is more progressive and modern in a way. Like it also like, I feel like it doesn't have to come at the cost of, of what came before. Like you don't have to like punch down like 
old tropes of the past you can just do it yeah. I kind of would make it like more subversive if they just like you know just do it without even like without even winking at your past like just just letting just Anna just like be her own character that like doesn't come with the baggage of like prior Disney tropes even like with other movies like I think about Moana where like yeah they kind of like Maui's hints at it like mm-hmm. oh you're you have a skirt you have an animal sidekick you're the daughter of a chief yeah you're a princess but even in terms of like you know, there's that one, I know, it's going to be another podcast. Um, but there's that one scene where, like, Moana's father takes her up to, like, like, I have my father and the father before me, like, all the chiefs of the land, and this will be yours one day. And it's not even a question that, like, yo, yeah, this is the only kid I have, and, he, like, you're not a son. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. like, it's like, okay, you're my kid. You're going to be a chief. Yeah. End of story. And, like, there's no question of, like, her love interest. Like, it's not even, like, a thought. Uh-huh. anyone who puts Maori Moana together no gross um you know and it's interesting that yeah. they moved away from Moana but then like Frozen they kind of had to be like but look what we're doing here and it's like you're still not doing it in the yeah. right way because so you're still like demonizing Anna no and I do think you know ultimately though that you know not again not to talk about Frozen 2 more, but like I feel like that does make the ending of Frozen 2 like just a little more powerful because like yes Anna is the queen of Arendelle at the end of that movie like she is like the most powerful person in this kingdom and like you never hear her say oh I want to be queen so bad she just is allowed to be the ruler of this kingdom and I and I think she has it's a great de- moment of development for her and like that's why I think that's also maybe why I prefer Frozen 2 a little bit more because like it doesn't focus on like breaking the Disney tropes it just wants to tell a story about yeah. the two sisters. It was Frozen 2 when Anna becomes queen, it's not like, okay, Kristoff King, like Kristoff's no. still Kristoff doing Kristoff's thing. Like yeah. his girlfriend and Beyonce is Beyonce, queen, but yeah. he's just chilling, you know? Yeah. And so it's not this expectation that like, okay, Anna's a princess. She has to marry someone and they become king and she loses her power. Like Anna's completely in control. Yeah. Instead of Elsa, like she's queen without any question of her with a man. Yeah. It just had to, she just had to be old enough. thinking the same thing because like i've been searching my whole life to find my own place and maybe it's the party talking or the chocolate fondue <laughs> but with you but with you i found my place i see your face and, and it's, it's nothing, nothing like i've, I've ever, ever known before love is an open And so, you know, I want to talk about the impact of Frozen, which, as we talked about a little bit ago, like major, major, major impact because it was so successful for Disney. Um, as, as I mentioned, Disney went all in on Frozen, establishing an entire franchise. Um, something interesting that I learned is that Anna and Elsa were set to join like the proper Disney princess franchise, you know, like with um, Ariel, Cinderella, all those like they're just going to be two more members of it. Though, because Frozen was so immensely popular, Disney decided to just make Frozen its own standalone franchise. So, like, while you do see, like, a lot of, like, Frozen merch, like, Anna and Elsa dolls kind of paired with the Disney princess dolls, they very clearly, like, have their own distinct branding that's not, like, Disney princess. Because even, like, films that kind of have their own sub-franchises, like The Little Mermaid or, like, Moana, who is now a Disney princess officially, like, they get the Disney princess, like, little branding, but Frozen, it's all just Frozen. They're not officially, like, Disney princesses? No, because, ironically, because they 
are they are so popular. They are more popular than the Disney princesses themselves. Oh my god. Even though, like, yeah, they do kind of get lumped together. And in, like, Wreck-It Ralph 2, obviously, they're included with the Disney princesses in that movie. But, like, yeah, officially, in terms of the Disney princess canon, Anna and Elsa are not considered official members. I had no idea. I thought they always were. Thousands of books, video games, costumes. So, so many costumes of the film were released. Like, literally every Halloween, you see, like, so many little girls are dressed as, you know, I, I think Elsa probably is more popular than Anna as a costume, but you still see some Anna costumes out there a little bit. Yeah, I think you see a good mix of both. But I think uh, everyone, I think also the idea that, like, Elsa has powers, like, mm-hmm. you want to oh, be yeah. someone, like, magical on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, Elsa really is, like, a superhero. I mean, more of a superhero in Frozen 2, but it's kind of cool and funny how, like, she is like a superhero, but she just has this like princess dress on. Like you can be a princess and a super, well, technically a queen, but you can be a queen and a superhero. Exactly. And before getting an actual proper sequel, um, a number of short films were created. Frozen Fever in 2015 with the live action Cinderella, which takes place in spring. It's a cute little short. Elsa gets sick, makes the snow G's. Snowgies, Snowgies, I forgot, I don't know how to pronounce them. Once Upon a Snowman, pretty recently in 2020, which goes into Olaf's origin story. And Olaf's Frozen Adventure in 2017, which aired before Coco. And as we talked about in the Coco episode, <laughs> very controversial short film. Do you know about, remember that whole controversy thing? Well, no, I don't, I don't. All right, so maybe I'm a bad Disney fan, but I didn't really pay attention to those shorts. Oh, it's fine. Um, so you know how normally with Pixar films, they do air a short film before it? Oh yeah, they do like a little short film and there's a little, they do a mm-hmm. short film. And yeah. then like when the credits roll, I, I always, my friends hate me when we see a Disney film in movies because I'm like, we have to stay for the credits. And they're like, Katie, I want to get out of here. And I'm like, oh, yeah. no, you have to stay for the credits. Cause then after the credits, they're like, <laughs> so, oh yeah, usually. Um, but this was like, I think a close to tw- a 30 minute short that they aired in front of Coco when the movie, which is already like a full length movie. And so like people were like, why are you showing me this like 30 minute short before a movie I want to see? Oh, really? Fro- like Olaf Frozen Adventure was like a 30 minute like preview quote quote with like Coco it will- when I was in theaters. So like it, from what I understand, I think it was made as like a TV special for like ABC but like they decided to put it in front in literally the entire 30 minute sh- like special in front of Coco. Oh my God. Yeah. So like, you know, that's a, that's a long time to commit being in a movie theater. And of course you do it to Coco. Yep. Yep. A story yep, yep. about like a, a community of color. Oh mm-hmm, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we, we do talk about it in the Coco episode. It was, unfortunate um thankfully that lasted only for like i think a few weeks before they pulled it um but yeah it was unfortunate a a a dark spot in olaf's otherwise unblemished record olaf come on as we alluded to earlier they did make a broadway musical in 2018 which is honestly a pretty fast turnaround for making of animated film into a full-on broadway musical this was after getting a condensed stage adaptation in disney california adventure park which i've seen obviously it's nice it's like an hour they like can get they condense it the whole thing into like an hour and it's not currently airing um 
from what I understand, it might not actually be coming back, but that's a whole different thing. Like other Broadway musicals like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Little Mermaid, it reuses the songs from the movie while adding new ones and kind of digs deeper into plot elements. And usually like, interestingly, I mean, probably because of the Broadway audience, usually has a more of a dark, mature tone. And this one, like, I haven't seen it, but I've like, like I've looked into it, like it is a lot darker than the movie. And like, kind of goes into Elsa's psyche more like we kind of talked about the film didn't do and even interesting that I know it's kind of like touches not really goes into but touches on Elsa's origin which obviously is a major plot point in Frozen 2 but I know you see I, I want you to, I want to hear your thoughts on it for sure um but it was nominated for three Tonys but sadly closed in March of 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but it did get it, it got a solid run, like, you know, two-ish yeah. years is pretty, well, I guess more like one and a half years, pretty solid for a Broadway musical, so, you know, but yes, I, I want to hear your thoughts on it, because I know you have seen it. Well, the, the, the part that, that hurts a lot was that when it closed, it was like, they just switched cast, yes. so I saw it with, like, the newest cast, like, I saw it twice, I saw it June 2019, instead of going to Pride, I saw Frozen, which I'm not mad about. Oh. Um, and then I saw it in February 2020 after winning the lottery for it. First of all, let me tell you, the Let It Go transition live on Broadway, tears sobbing like tens across the board. But no, it, it, like in February when I saw it was the first like maybe week of like the mm-hmm. new cast. And it was like, we had a Black Elsa. Yes. Story, who was in John Mulaney's Sack Lunch Bunch, was also young Elsa. And just the cast was brilliant. Like the guy who played Hans was beautiful. And so like, they didn't even get like a proper time like to be mm-hmm. on stage. Like, and like, you could, if you all go on the cast Instagram, they all talk about it and they're devastated. But it was more like less than a month. Yeah. Which I know happened to a lot of Broadway shows across the board, yeah. like with COVID. But like, when it closed completely, it was like, okay, where we're not going to, like, most shows are going to come back after, well, like, yeah. as when Broadway opens up in September, but it was beautiful. And I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to think back about, like, both times I saw it. You did, they do all, pretty much all the same songs. They add a few songs. One song I do remember vividly was, What Do You Know About Love? I don't know if it's the full title, but it's like, when Anna and Kristoff are, like, on their way to Elsa's castle, they're kind of fighting over, you know, what we talked about before, like, Anna, you can't marry a man you just met. It's like, well, what do you know about love? What do you know about love? And it becomes this whole song. I love it. I, I think it's beautiful. And they did a really, really good job of, like, keeping, you know, keeping it still palatable for, like, the younger kids. Because, like, especially when I first saw it, like, little kids everywhere in their booster seats all wearing their Elsa costumes. Um, but still, like, deepening, like you said, like, deepening it and adding, like, some darker plot points a little bit and then like going to like more into Elsa's like she got a little bit more, more monologues and a little more like processing time on stage and it's also interesting because I saw Olaf clearly I saw it twice but like the first time I saw it he was played by a woman and the second That's time cool. it was played by a man so just like Olaf is gender fluid yeah. <laughs> um, I, I loved it I can gush about it forever but it was just like a really I thought it was really well done. Honestly, only like the other Disney Broadway musical I've seen. I haven't seen Lion King, haven't seen like all the other ones. And like, if you talk to big Broadway fans, sometimes they have like interesting opinions about like the Disney Broadway. I definitely, yeah, for sure. And because like, especially Broadway, like you have really brilliant people making those shows and it's like, okay, like the Disney ones are fun, but mostly tourists are like, go to it. 
but mm-hmm. I thought it was really brilliant. And I was a big fan of it both times. And let me tell you, let it go. Yeah. Watching that, like watching her dress change live. Oh. I saw like a video because they did like a live performance of um the original actress who played Elsa on Broadway. Like I think it was like for The View, they recorded her performance and like the most hilarious like awful thing is like the um camera was on the entire stage when she did her dress reveal so you didn't even get to like really see it which is like really like hilariously bad I do find it um interesting like because I completely forgot that yeah also was um was played by a black actor in that one and that's something I really like about the um theme park shows that like it was like it did like colorblind casting so like they have like Obviously, they have multiple people play on an Elsa since it's a show that runs multiple times a day. So you can have like a black Elsa and an Asian Anna and their parents just both be white. They don't really focus on like how um, they could be siblings. They just like think like, oh, this is the person who has the role. Like it's so it's really cool that they kind of did that for like, and obviously you don't you're not going to cast as many people for a Broadway show as you are a theme park show. But it's kind of cool. They started to like kind of you know get into that and yeah it's un- very unfortunate that it closed but I mean that's the sad reality of like the pandemic is that like a lot of things aren't going to come out of here unscathed and it's they they I know they do have a touring production of Frozen I don't yeah. know what the status of that is but yeah it's it's just one of those sad things about the current landscape is that like I'm not a major musical theater person but like I definitely like kind of get into the discourse sometimes and like it's interesting yeah to see people's opinions on these Disney musicals and kind of like you know broader musicals based on IP and films because like Disney has such a stronghold on the entertainment industry and you know Broadway and um, theater is filled with so many like creative minds but like it's just like just like the movie like landscape right now like it seems like you can't get an idea that's not based off of a film and like it's kind of sad but I do like how at least with the um broader musicals Disney yeah they do try to make them a little more darker and mature probably to like compensate for the fact that like Broadway tends to skew older in terms of its audiences yeah but um yeah it's it is sad because like you know you could see it as oh Disney just doing a cash grab and trying to capitalize on its popularity but like it seems like it was a well-received musical for all intents and purposes. Even if it were to end, it's sad that it didn't get like a proper goodbye. Yeah. And I know a lot of other Broadway stuff was going to close with like Mm -hmm. the pandemic, but just like that one really hurt because clearly I love Frozen a lot. And just like the fact that like, you know, I would have seen it more times if I could have. And just the Mm -hmm. fact that like it it was like, you know, yeah, everything closed. The fact that that was like, probably that was probably one of the first Broadway shows to be like, yeah, we won't come back after COVID, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like, I think that struck a nerve with a lot of people who are big Broadway fans. They're like, okay, what else is going to close before yeah. I get to see it, you know? And clearly like a lot of, they're making Broadway musical movies. So you have like the prom making a movie. You have Hamilton clearly made an impact. And like, there's a Dear Evan Hansen movie and but Frozen doesn't need to do that because there's already Frozen movies. So you like miss that experience of it on Broadway naturally it got a theme park attraction um it got it in disney world in 2016 called frozen ever after in epcot in the norway section and which was amazing i not to cut you off but i went to disney for the first time last month and it was beautiful sorry (laughs) yeah no it's a ride i like um not my favorite ride i enjoy it but 
it was a very controversial ride when it was um, announced and built because um, if you don't know about Epcot, it uh, has a section that's called World Showcase, which kind of recreates condensed experiences of different countries from around the world and like more or less pretty authentic. Usually in normal times, they have people from those countries who work there. So like, you know, you would get people from Norway work in the Norway Pavilion. You would get people from China working in the China Pavilion. Clearly, that's not something we can really do right now because world travel isn't really a thing. And the ride that there was a ride that was there called the Maelstrom. Um, Not a good ride, but like a ride that was kind of beloved because it was so bad. And it was very much a ride about Norway, the country, like its culture and history and all that. And so like, you know, when Disney announced, hey, we're going to take away this ride that's actually culturally authentic and replace it with a frozen ride, people, you know, were a little um, not happy about it. And interestingly, like the frozen ride literally is the same ride in terms of its structure and like the track. It's the same track and everything, same rooms and everything. And kind of like floating on water, like mm -hmm. it was a boat ride. And it even went, it sent you backwards when Elsa like pushes your boat backwards like that was all in the original ride too they literally just took the bones of this ride and just threw frozen on it and for what it was like then obviously you can't do much with like the limited space you're given but like for what it was it's a I do like the ride I do enjoy it obviously yes I wish frozen would be able to get its own original ride because it deserves it but you know I think it does seem a little out of place like I was expecting frozen I'd be like a magic kingdom or something and like I had to go to Epcot to Norway and like be with everybody drinking and eating around the world. I do think it deserves its own own specialty, but which I mean, we'll as we'll touch on in a second. It it will, but yeah, no, it's I just want I just love the picture of you like you know people going to Epcot to like get drunk and like eat, drink around the world, and you're just like <laughs> I want to see the Frozen ride. I want to see Elsa. It actually had a pretty long wait. Oh yeah, you know we waited, we park hopped to Epcot both times that we went, like and. It was the longest. I waited like 50 minutes for Frozen each time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are y'all supposed to be eating and drinking around the world? Like, let me have this. Oh, yeah. No, that's definitely one of the most, if not the most popular ride in that park next to maybe Soren. But definitely it is clearly, um, obviously, because Frozen is popular. It is one of the most popular rides in the park. But yes, even though Disney World was not allowed to get an original Frozen ride, there are three concurrent Frozen lands being built around the world in Tokyo Disneyland, Hong Kong Disneyland, and Disneyland Paris. Um, So for Tokyo Disneyland, it's kind of part of a bigger expansion that it's also going to include a Tangled Land, which is very exciting to me, and a Peter Pan area. So that'll be really cool. There is going to be a ride there. I don't know if they said. Um, Yeah, Hong Kong Disneyland, I think, is going to get a, like, a mine car ride, kind of. So it's, like, kind of like a Kristoff-themed ride. And, like, I, it may get another clone of Frozen Ever After, which would be weird. And I don't know what the Disneyland Paris is going to be. But yes, more Frozen will be coming. You just have to get your passport ready for that. But All right, I got to book a trip to Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Paris. <laughs> I mean, at least it'll be easy to travel from Hong Kong to Tokyo. True. Maybe they'll let us in someday. I need to go. Oh, believe <laughs> no, me. I, maybe. I, I will go. <laughs> oh, no. I, like, literally, I am going to go to every Disney park around the world. And Tokyo is the top of that list. But also, if I'm in Tokyo, like, I can just go to Hong Kong and Shanghai Disneyland, I guess, there, too. This film was also kind of controversial in a way. I don't know if controversial is the right way to put it, but it caused a lot of conversation over the character of Elsa, where like Elsa's sexuality, I don't talk about topics like this like a lot on the show, but like I feel like because 
it was such a strong conversation. I mean, it is worthwhile to mention that like, yeah, a lot of people like, you know, thought like Elsa might be a queer character just because like of different numerous hints. And I know like that's something you wanted to really talk about before we recorded. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting because I didn't really start until maybe a year or two before Frozen 2 came out where everyone's like, give Elsa a girlfriend. I'm like, Elsa's a lesbian. And I just thought it was like everyone just kind of being like, wanting queer representation like I'm queer trust me I want that too um but and I also like didn't really look at it further and so I was reading something um and I could send you this piece to give it credit in this podcast a Vox contributor Vox not Fox, Vox yes Vox with a V <laughs> with a V um Emily Van Der Waal I hope oh, I said oh yes right. I have read a lot of her stuff you know this came out like right around Frozen 2 but it was like, okay, like, canonly, Elsa's not queer. But it doesn't say she's not straight. Like, yeah. or like, you know, and I think it's like Disney, like, we can talk about like Disney's being like their politics and stuff. Mm-hmm. We, that's another podcast episode, yeah. right? We can unpack that a lot. And I feel like every movie, they like make the like, our first openly gay character. And it's like a gay cop. <laughs> like, again, yeah. we can unpack. Um, so I'm just going to read you a little bit of what she said, because I think it like sums it up perfectly. Um, a bunch of people decided Elsa was a queer character. Mostly she's not ex- explicitly straight, which is like, okay, she's not canonly queer, but she's not canonly mm-hmm. straight. And I think the idea that like, we've touched on this so many times in this podcast, but I think the idea that like, talk about Anna being like, infatuated with the idea of love and like everything else, but like, Elsa has no, there's no, that's not even a topic on Elsa's mind like Mm -hmm. her having a partner her you know like she's not romantically interested in anybody you can wonder if she's like asexual or aromantic but it's not those those aren't canon either and I think when you look at like Anna who's like desperate for love it's like such a stark kind of like opposition meanwhile like you look at Moana it's like not a mention but like no one cares it's like not even like delved upon um but what Emily talks about in this article she quotes San Diego State University professor Angel Daniel Matos, who studies the intersection of queer narratives and children's literature, where he wrote, considering Elsa via the lens of queer literary theory makes a lot of sense. So he wrote, Queen Elsa is approached by some viewers as a queer or gay character, not only because she doesn't engage in a romantic relationship in the film, but also because she is forced by her parents to suppress and hide the power she is born with. And we can like compare that to like, let me just, I'll just keep reading. Although the movie implies that her parents definitely try to conceal Elsa's powers because of the danger that they might impose to her and others, this does not justify the degree to which they prevent Elsa from having any human contact whatsoever. Furthermore, the fact that Elsa's parents view suppression, isolation, and solutions further emphasizes the notion of the infamous, infamous queer closet. And so I think that like, you know, that analysis is like really interesting because like when everyone's talking about Elsa having a girlfriend, Spoiler alert, you kind of see that a little bit more in Frozen 2. And there's like a little bit more of like evidence. But this idea of like her having to suppress her powers and her being like her being like physically like locked away for years and then like put in the closet, you know, and then this idea when like she's found out with her powers, when she comes out, she's kind of like shunned by the community, which like I don't understand like, you know, you see it in the movie, like, okay, she's a witch, whatever. There's a lot of feminist queer unpackings we can do with a lot of that but this is like the whole idea of like her suppressing her identity coming out being disowned by her community 
very, very clear reading of the film. And then something else they talk about was that like, you know, we talked about Elsa being a villain or originally supposed to be trained as a villain. Usually the villains kind of get a queer reading. You know, I think when they're talking about the um, Little Mermaid being mm. remade, that should be coming out soon, I hope. Ursula is queer, like, you know, like, and you see this with like a lot of cartoons. In Powerpuff Girls, you see the character him, who was very feminine, and it's kind of a play on like gender roles. And it's all these villains are holding queer identities and associated with like LGBTQ like characteristics that like the community like bonds over. And I think it's just is like really, I know I didn't say that all properly and I'm fumbling my words, but. It's fine though. I just like, I wanted to just like let you like talk because I feel like you are more informed on this topic. I mean, obviously if you have more to say, like, please go about it. Cause like, yeah, I feel like you really summed up everything like really well. You know, when everyone's talking about it, like, I feel like I, I got it, but then, like, really looking at this article and, like, understanding that, like, analysis of, like, suppressing your identity and hiding yourself, let it go could be, like, that kind of anthem to her being, like, I'm going to live my truest, authentic self, which you see yeah. is, like, also kind of, like, the same coming out concept that queer people have to do every day, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think it's interesting. And, like, you know, like, I don't know if there's anything you want to touch on with that. Um- I feel like you really talked about it really well. Um, yeah, and like I feel like it is one of those things where like representation is so like sparse that like you know people will like you know I don't want to say grab at grasp at stalls, but they will like latch on to like even like the hint of some of something that like might like because that's I think it just speaks to like the lack of representation in the broader media landscape. And we even see this a lot. And not to go not to cut you off, but I I took a class my last year of college. Um, about urban fantasy which I guess obviously is different than this but like I wrote my whole piece on queer urban fantasy Mm. and something I touched on too I hate her very much but JK Rowling like kind of did this where like people were like hey this character's queer and she was like no he's not but Dumbledore's gay and it's like but we have the like evidence and proof that like this character is queer or trans and you're just gonna throw some random character on the bus and meanwhile we know JK Rowling is like horrible person and incredibly transphobic but like you know the idea of like I'm gonna throw representation just to throw representation when like the readers can see like this one character is queer not Dumbledore this one character kind of like not even like pursuing that and like Mm -hmm. for the author herself to be like no and it's like but yes they are um I'm forgetting that character's name so any Potter fans don't yell at me um (laughs) But, you know, I think, like, there's some things to be said about, like, what representation looks like. And, like, you know, yes, there's sometimes where it's, like, okay, you don't, if you don't have the evidence, like, it doesn't make sense to just, like, label things as queer just to be queer. Because it's, like, you know, representation goes a long way. But, like, if you don't have, like, the backing of it, then it's, like, all right, we just have hollow representation. But, like, Elsa being queer, like, whether it's, she's a lesbian and they give her a girlfriend she's aromantic, asexual, like, you know, this idea of, like, her being, like, physically put in a closet, and, like, suppressing her true identity is, like, a really profound statement that I'm sure the authors, the, the writers didn't intend to do, but I think, like, mm-hmm. as a queer, queer readings of it, it really makes sense, and so, like, I know I'm kind of rambling on with that, but, and even the fact that she was originally the villain, like, if they're gonna, yeah. like, queer her character, 
any way. They're probably going to do it because she was originally written as the villain. Yeah. I know I just rambled on for a while. Yeah. And like, it's like one of the things where like, you know, you know, um, you may have your opinions on like whether giving Elsa any love interest, like whether like no matter the gender of the character would be because like, I, I think like, honestly, like I'm like fine with Elsa not getting any love interest because I feel like that's not what makes her character interesting, but also like very, I think it's smart that like, yes, she may not like canonically be a queer character, but she's also like not canonically like a straight character either. So like, if you want to interpret her as a character like who is queer like like I feel like I feel like there is something powerful in that and like um people like seeing this character who like you know if they want to interpret her as a certain way like they can do that and I think there is a power to that like kind of like claiming this character and then like unless Frozen 3 they just decide I I see I'm reading this article right now and like you know, we also live with the knowledge that Frozen 3 might well mirror off the new Duke of Wesselton or something. And I'm like, they could do that. But like, I don't think they will, because I think, you know, I think especially in Frozen 2, they noticed how strongly people resonate to this character. So I think making this story about like, not, not, no, with no explicit themes or anything, but like the fact they made it about Elsa, like her story is just her coming to terms with who she is and where she came from. I think there is a power to that, that they know this character. So many people have latched onto this character. And I think, yes, it's like kind of frustrating when they keep things ambiguous. And like when they do say like Disney's first openly gay character and it's some like side character who like they don't even confirm their sexuality. I think it's just like, you know, I think letting having this character that allows people to like latch on to them and like, you know, have their own interpretation of the character. I think there is something powerful to that. Yeah, I need to pause you for a second. Frozen three? Is no, that no, no, true? no, no, oh. no, 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 no. It's like a joke. Um, it's, this was because this was before Frozen two even. It's from that article, so it's like a joke. Oh, um, okay. Yes. I didn't like clearly. Sorry, I didn't read the article. Um, I was like, there's a Frozen, and that's the thing too. It's like, let's say they were a, fro- a Frozen three, and they just give it to some. Ra- I feel like on a lot of times it's like, okay, this person's queer, and it's like, no, we're gonna throw this person with a random person of like to make it look heterosexual and there's no like chemistry forming and so it just like becomes like uh you know I mean Frozen 2 we have a little more evidence of Elsa being queer but like yeah, yeah. and like I do also think that there is something like also powerful with not giving your character a love interest like maybe like they are like she is asexual or romantic in that way but like you know Brave did it too, kind of same thing. Like she was a princess who just didn't find a prince at the end. And like even Moana, like you said, like people aren't really reading into any deeper meanings with Moana's character. But like, I kind of like how these like new generations of Disney princesses, like they don't have, I mean, Anna obviously does, but like they, most of them, a lot of them don't have their love interest because, you know, I think that also speaks to the more modern like lens of these Disney films. It's like, Yes, like, you know, for some people, finding love and relationship is a goal for them. And that's perfectly valid and fine. But like, some people also just don't. They don't need to find love. They, they just want to be happy with themselves. And like, I think that there is something powerful in that. And like, not, you know, just not assuming that Elsa was going to get a love interest of any, of any, like, whoever it is at the end of the film. Because I think, you know, I, when I remember when I first saw this, like, the promotional materials from the movie like oh she's probably gonna end up with like Hans or something and like Anna's gonna end up with Kristoff and then it turns out Hans is like evil so like lol at that but you know I think you know just the fact that like Elsa just you know even at the end of Frozen 2 she just gets to be by herself as this like wood spirit is like yeah. there's something cool with that I think it's just interesting too because when you look at Moana 
or like Merida and Brave, like there's like not discussion on it or there is, but it's like not like, you know, a question of like queerness, but because how Emily phrases it, I think it's a good point of like, also sexuality becomes of question because in stark juxtaposition to Anna being like, I want love. And so I think that's where like that lies. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also like another interesting, I agree with you completely on like, okay, like, you know, this idea of like that Disney time moving away from like, you don't need someone to love you to be worthy. Like you like that kind of idea. But I think it's also interesting about like, okay, if they just like a princess doesn't have a prince, then it's automatically just like, that's the end of it. And it's like, well, the mm. princess doesn't need a prince, but you could give the princess a princess. Yeah. Or just a majesty, you know, like mm-hmm. the idea that like, if it's not hetero, then there's no discussion of it at all. But I think that's yeah. an interesting thing that like Disney yeah. also needs to unpack itself. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I, I'm not going to go into Disney's like history with all that because there's far too much to yeah. unpack there. And, you know, there are frankly people smarter than I and more informed of the topic who have talked about it. So I feel like, yeah, that was like, it definitely was, I feel like an unexpected conversation that came out of that movie once it released, but also like one of the more lasting impacts of that movie. Yeah, I 100% like agree with you on like the idea of romance. And we talked yeah. about that a lot right now, oh, but yeah. like, I just think the idea of like, when yes. we talk about queerness, it's like, if it's not hetero, it doesn't exist. And it's like, yes, 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 yes. I agree. Yeah. Like it's, it's though no, fully like, yes, yeah. like that is, don't get me wrong. Like, I agree with that. It's, not to go on a whole like queer rant but you know me i'm yeah i you passionate about it <laughs> and finally as we have referenced a full-length sequel was released in 2019 but we'll talk about that later because there's a lot to discuss all i'll say is i think frozen 2 is a much messier film than the first one but i think i love it more agree and on that point that is all for this week's episode thank you so much katie for joining me talking about frozen for all this time um before you go is there anything you would like to add or plug or just anything thank you so much for having me like i love that you're a big disney fan like myself and that we could just talk about movies like this and i love you having this podcast thank you if anyone's looking to find me i do have a fun website which is just literally my name it is k m j h-e-b-e-r-t dot com um but no seriously Aiden thank you so much for having me and I'm so glad I get to talk about something I love so dearly with someone I love so dearly yeah oh my god thank you you're making me blush (laughs) yeah no I mean like I said I like to have people who clearly are passionate about the movies that they're talking about and if it's not clear like we are both very passionate about this movie and like yeah and I can't wait to have you on for Frozen 2 We'll, we'll we'll work that out Um, he's coming back for a sequel (laughs) yes 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 um so if you want to follow the show follow us at disney vault cast we are on the standard social medias i'm at aiden simons if you'd like to follow me and um you know please subscribe to our show give us five stars it would make me smile i shall see you next time when we go back into the disney vault bye